Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me is Jamesy. However, Benno is unable to join us this week due to the fact that he's got no internet connection, so kind of stifles his uh, podcast in there. But uh, Jamesy, not to panic, because flying in at the last minute to save the day like an Irish Oliver Giroux is from the Grapple Spotlight. I'm pleased to welcome JP Houlihan to the show. JP, thanks for joining me and James this week. Absolute pleasure. I've, I've ticked another person off the uh, podcasting co-host bucket list by uh, yes. doing all with Jamesy. <laughs> Delighted. Watford is very well represented tonight. Very well represented. <laughs> we're the WWE tonight, guys. We're, we're not the British wrestling experience. We're the Waterford wrestling experience. Yeah, the new the new WWE <laughs> up the day show. <laughs> we, should, we should probably we should probably explain to, to yes. our, the majority of our listeners who are from who are probably from Britain that Waterford is the town in Ireland that I'm from and that JP's family is from. So that's that's what kind of bonds us today. So poor Martin is is is, is outnumbered badly, <laughs> unfortunately, this week. I know. I feel like the complete outsider this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't mind. All welcome. <laughs> Um, I mean, um, before we get into anything else, I mean, I think we all breathed a, a huge sigh of relief um, yesterday as uh, Zack Sabre Jr. retained the uh, Red Pro heavyweight title against Yoshi Hashi at Kazuna Road. I think um, I think that was something uh, that we were all hoping for. So now uh, Yoshi Hashi in the G1 this year, uh, JP. I was so glad about that. I was absolutely terrified. It was like the nightmare scenario had come true. No Zach in the G1 being replaced by Yoshihashi. And then I was thinking the consequences for Royal Quest and what was going to go on there. So, and I think, James, you had said yourself, like, you, were, I, I don't know whether or not you were just trying to second-guess Ghetto, but you were um, or bluffing him, but you said, I think Yoshihashi's winning. And so I got this horrible thought in my head. And I found myself at work checking the match on my lunch break. And I was ever so relieved to see that, um, that, that Zach had won. I was like, thank God for that. Yeah, I, I, I was genuinely worried because um, what had me worried was looking at that A block um, that Zach is in. It, it kind of struck me that lots of the matches are matches he's had before. Like he, he's wrestled Okada before. He's wrestled Tanahashi. He's wrestled Ibushi many times. He's wrestled, wrestled Sonata. He's wrestled Osprey, and I was thinking, like, God, maybe they're actually going to go and do it. And there was the, there was the evil ten percent of me kind of wanted to see it happen, just to see the meltdowns on Twitter as well, just just to see the reactions. <laughs> but yeah, when it when it comes, and based on the match that we saw yesterday, I actually had a quick look at it there last night. I mean, it, it basically confirmed why Ashihashi probably shouldn't be in the G1 anymore. I mean, it was a Zack Saber Junior match that was as mm-hmm. as kind of skippable, and I mean, I, I would. Very rarely say a Zack Sabre Jr. match is boring or dull. He, he'd be definitely one of my favorite wrestlers, maybe of all time. But like that was pretty skippable stuff. Like I wouldn't be recommending anybody go out and watch it or anything like that, you know. So like if anything, it in itself confirmed why Yoshihashi is probably better off doing the, the undercard tag matches for the rest of the summer. I mean, a great promo by Zach after. I mean, uh, I think he's quite underrated when it comes to his promo ability. I really enjoyed that. But I just want to go back to something you mentioned a minute ago about meltdowns on Twitter. And we seem to have had quite a few this <laughs> week, don't we? Uh, we had Seth Rollins uh, kicking off at uh, 
Will Ospreay, we've had a Dan Lowry defending the uh, good name of the WUK belt. I mean, what's been going on this week, JP? It just, it's just got a bit boring now, hasn't it? It really has. Um, it's something that I was kind of already sick of beforehand, and it appears to have gone into complete overdrive this week. Um, it's it's absolutely wild because it's it's almost like some of the wrestlers themselves can't understand why we can't view WWE as ultimately the underdog in all of this. <laughs> and and I'm sort of looking incredulously as they're, they're starting arguments with people really over nothing. And I know we're going to get into what Dan Maloney was trying to defend as well. Having seen it back on the VOD, I kind of, it was very clear that this was all done with the sort of good grace, certainly of Walter of, of how they actually worked it out. So I didn't kind of, buy into that stuff but yeah it appears to be a directive um that wwe appear to be implementing at the moment which is just go on all out attack rather than try to you know tackle the issues that they have um as a company yeah it's something that uh that seems to be happen every so often doesn't it jamesy and it just seems like rollins as the uh the next in line in terms of like defending the honor of the company yeah, like it's 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 you know you're doing badly on Twitter when I am nodding my head in agreement at tweets that Zach, that uh, Will Osprey makes. Like that's really that's <laughs> that's the stage. That's the stage it's gotten to. You know what I mean? I I, I don't understand the benefit in doing this kind of thing. Um, I you know part of me thinks that that Rollins is playing up the company man thing because like he's the guy on top at the moment. His partner is him and his partner are basically the top two stars in the company at the moment. And ratings are tanking very, very badly. Uh, live attendances are down. Pay-per-view buy rates are down. And it's kind of a thing where, OK, this guy is tanking his champion and maybe he feels the need to kind of um, be the company guy to kind of brown nose to Vince and kind of keep in his good books and that kind of thing, you know. And the, the, there's been a certain sneering you know, if we talk more about the guys in Brit Rest, there's been a bit of a sneering attitude amongst the WWUK contingent towards this independent thing that David Starr has 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 kind of started up in the last mm. while, and I I don't like that. You know, um, I you know it, it it's still unclear as to what exactly the independent movement is. Um, you know, they they're kind of building up towards something happening on the fourth of July that will hopefully make it a little bit more clear. But like you know, even a few weeks ago, you had Mark Andrews kind of doing the laughing emoji at a tweet by them when like he had a t-shirt brand that was defending indie wrestling and then he quite happily took a contract with wwe that dan maloney tweet is one of the worst things i have ever read <laughs> in all my time on the internet like w- what reason he would have to do that apart from i don't know is he trying to brown nose pete dunn or is he trying to you know if he's working an angle i don't get it because He's talking about a company he's never worked for and a company that's never, you know, an OTT that have never showed any interest in booking him. So it's just like, God almighty, as I said, when when Will Ospreay comes out of the week as looking like the good guy, I think it's time for everybody just to log off and take a bit of a break, to be honest. <laughs> Were you one of the first guys to be ordering one of those uh, small guy T-shirts? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you know me now, Martin. I'm I'm far from a small guy, but maybe maybe in this maybe in this instance I make an I make an exception, yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, um, just moving on, we had some um, sort of like really really shocking news. I mean, 
starting the show on a very, very somber note. Um, as it came out last week, that Adrian McCallum, who wrestled as Lionheart here in the UK, was found dead at the age of 36. I mean, most well-known for his work in ICW and Preston City Wrestling. Also made appearances for TNA and WWE on house shows over here. I mean, tributes were flooding in from all over the world of wrestling from the likes of The Rock and Chris Jericho, just to name a couple. I mean, um, this was um, a massive shock for um, for UK wrestling, wasn't it, Jamesy? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Just really, really sad news, and in in particularly tragic circumstances, I think. You know, um, like you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend that I'm an expert on Lionheart's career. Like for, for the vast majority of his career, he would have worked in places like ICW and Preston City Wrestling. Like you said, that, that I don't tend to watch an awful lot of. Um, Anytime I saw him wrestle, he always struck me as a solid hand. You know, um, I think it's a testament to his reliability as a guy that that ICW kind of turned to him and put the belt on him when uh, they lost kind of quite a lot of their top guys to the NXT UK brand. Um, I think if I was to kind of draw a comparison with him and maybe a more local wrestler here, I'd say he he, he always kind of reminded me of maybe a Sean Guinness type over here in Ireland, like a good solid hand that you could kind of place anywhere on a card who could work face and heel and would always give you a, a decent match and that kind of thing. Um, I think one of the things that really speaks to his love of wrestling was that really serious injury he had. Um, I think it was maybe 2014 or 15. yeah. 14 was it yeah well, wasn't it against AJ Styles when he took the Styles yep. slash and actually broke his neck and he was told by doctors that he'd never wrestle again and within 12 months the guy was back in the ring and hasn't really looked back since you know what I mean and I think he, he was clearly well liked and respected within the wrestling community like we've seen tributes to him come in from a wide range like everybody in British wrestling we've seen The Rock we've seen um you know, lots of independent stars across the world really um, showing their respect to him. And I think if if one thing can come from this, I suppose, is to just for everybody to really take the message that, um, you know, like if if you're feeling down or, or if times are tough, just to talk to somebody, you know what I mean? And, and to pick up the phone mm. and have a chat with somebody. There's always someone there, whether it's the Samaritans, a family member. You're not alone, you know, and um, it was quite poignant there um, last night. Uh, Shah Samuels, who would have been very close to Lionheart, put up his mug of the week, um, which is always a kind of a, a lighthearted two or three minutes in the week. And this week it was just him very earnestly and very seriously telling people, you know, life's too short for all this nonsense we've seen on Twitter. Life's too short for holding grudges and that kind of thing. And, you know, talk to somebody if you're feeling down and, you know, things like this don't have to happen. Yeah, it was a it was a really dark day for the uh, British wrestling scene. Obviously, thoughts go out to his family and uh, Preston City Wrestling have a tribute show to him coming this Friday with all the proceeds going to his parents and uh, ICW set up a GoFundMe to help with the funeral costs. So uh, yeah, just to reiterate, obviously, all our thoughts uh, go out to his family. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um and and moving on to uh, OTT and you attended uh, two shows in uh, Dublin this past weekend, James. Yeah, Friday saw Fight Factory Pro Wrestling hosted their event episode nine featuring John Gresham against Michael May, and then Sunday uh, saw OTT return to the National Basketball Arena with WrestleRama three headlined by Walter against David Starr, and. Uh, just mentioned there, James, you went to both of these live, and uh, JP, you managed to capture a couple of these on VOD. So, um, I mean, before we get mm-hmm. to OTT, Jamesy, how was the uh, Friday night show? I know you're a, a huge fan of Jonathan Gresham. 
Yeah, like um, Fight Factory would be, in my opinion, anyway, the, the best training school in Ireland. Like they, um, they, they just keep churning out really well trained, solid talents. Like I mean, most of the the good seriously good young up-and-comers in Ireland have come from there. Like, you've got the, the three guys from More Than Hype. You've got Michael May. You've got Valkyrie. Um, and the, the, their shows are, are always, you know, they're always worth going to. They, 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 don't, they don't charge much. They're, you know, they're, they're all ages affairs. They're a far cry from the hot OTT crowds and that kind of thing. They usually run a, um, a community centre called the Sean O'Casey Community Centre, kind of ju- just on the outskirts of, or well, in, in the in Dublin city centre, really. Um, and they're just a, a nice change of pace from the OTT shows, you know what I mean? And um, of course, the big attraction for me was finally getting to see John Gresham. Like I, my OTT have done a good job of kind of ticking most of the names off my bucket list at this stage. But, but Gresham was kind of one of the last ones on it that I've really been desperate to see. And, um, it, I was really glad that this was the type of show I got to see Gresham on. Like, I think if he had ended up on an OTT show, he might've ended up in a tag match or maybe in a, on a shorter match on the undercard. Whereas here we got to see him in a small room environment. Like I was sitting in the second row, like I could pretty much reach out and touch the ring apron um, while I was watching the match, you know. Um, and they got, they got, uh, they were given as long as they wanted. Basically, I think I timed the match at something like twenty-two or twenty-three minutes. Um, and just a real joy to watch, like a, just a real privilege to watch a guy like Gresham wrestle in that environment. And also, it's great credit to him that that he would come over and work a small show like this. Like I'm sure at this point in his career, he's not short. On, on, on bookings like if he's over in the in the British Isles or Ireland he'd easily get himself a, a booking in a more high you know a, a more high profile place than than Fight Factory but um, he's good friends with Phil Boyd and Katie Harvey who are the the kind of head trainers of the school he was he would have been in Japan with them um, back 10-15 years ago and he's the kind of guy who doesn't forget where he came from you know and he um, kind of did them this favour of coming over and wrestling against Michael and it was just a really, really good match. Like, I, I hope they put it up on YouTube um, because it, it was just a technical masterpiece. Like, Michael is very much a classically trained wrestler. He's, you know, he's well-versed in all the old British holds and that kind of thing. Um, and he by no means was outlast by Gresham. Like, he, he really hung with them for all the technical exchanges. Um, yeah, just a wonderful, wonderful 22 minutes of wrestling. Um, and as I said, I hope it would be a good idea for them to put it up on their YouTube site, I think, just to kind of get themselves a little bit more publicity. Um, and just, like, you talk about the current crop of young Irish wrestlers that are on the OTT shows. Like, there's another four or five guys bubbling underneath on these fight factory shows that are going to explode in the next two or three years. Like like there's, there's kids of 15, 16 on these shows and you'd swear that they've been wrestling for four or five years. Um, just a couple of names. Maybe there's a guy called big rab and Justin Daniels. Like I, I saw Justin have his first match. I think when he was maybe 14 and a half or something like that. My and you'd God. Swear, yeah. You'd say it's, it's like being in Mexico or something like that. These, these 14 yeah. year olds wrestling matches, but this kid, Justin, like the, the he just has no fear. Um, the way he carries himself. He's like, 
the young Kevin Owens. He's got a real swagger about him, carries himself like a guy who's been wrestling for years. Um, they've got another guy called Fabio who wrestled two matches on the night. Um, he needs to again, change his a, name. Good God, Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of things they need to change in terms of look and gear and that kind of thing. But in terms of raw talent, like the, these kids are just phenomenal. Like, So, I mean, you know, we're already kind of thinking about, God, at what point will more than hype get scooped up by the WWE machine and uh, how long more will the likes of Scotty Davis be OTT only and that kind of thing but like the, the, this this is a real golden age of talent in Ireland you know and it's um, the mm. future is very much safe and I mean JP is a man who follows the Irish under 21s regularly probably more than a lot of Irish people do um, but yeah there, there's a few very very good under 16s on the way up don't worry about that JP we, we, the, the future is safe for, for sure Oh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be Irish wrestling sort of taking over the world, and I'm all for it. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's get it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, obviously moving on to Sunday, and um, sadly I haven't had a chance to um, see the main event yet, but um, obviously you were there live, Jamesy, and JP's watched it on VOD, so how was Walter against David Starr? Uh, it was it was phenomenal. Um, I was saying to you guys before we started the call, um Having been live in the building, I mean, the, the common consensus from from everybody leaving the building was that it was it was maybe the best match that Star and Walter have ever had. Um, most people were talking about five stars. I, I think somebody looked on Grapple, I think yesterday morning, and like obviously at that point it would only have been people who were at the at the match that would have rated it, and something like nineteen of the twenty one ratings at that point were five stars, which is pretty amazing. Um, and yeah, like I, I, it, it's hard to know where to start with this match. Like it was just a complete another roller coaster from start to finish. Um, star is something else. Like um, the even before the match. I, I, I'm sure you got, I think we talked about it the last time uh, on the podcast about the the star promo where he's kind of, he's been driven slowly insane by the sound of Walter's music. Yeah. Mm. And um, even, so he came out first and he's in the ring waiting for Walter to come out and like he's looking really focused, really fired up. And then Walter's music hits and there's just this amazing image of star standing in the ring with his hands over his ears, almost kind of slapping his head like a man who's, <clears throat> just completely driven demented every time he hears this music, you know, and um, like, it's just real top quality stuff from start to finish. The the main story of the match was, was star going after Walter's legs and like the quality of the work that was done on the legs was phenomenal. Um, Walter's selling of it was amazing. Like, and the star, like he, he, he's just never, he never forgets his character for a second. Like he's not just working the legs. Like at times he's, he's like a rabid dog going after them. Like he's punching Walter's knees. He's headbutting them. Like, like, you know, he just, anything at all he can to keep this monster off his feet and have a chance of beating him, you know? And then of course the arrogance comes out kind of then as, as he has the upper hand on Walter and Walter's on the mass and he kind of starts playfully slapping Walter and kind of, um, trash talking him and that kind of thing and of course Walter just with one shot just completely shatters his illusions of arrogance straight away you know and like there's so many callbacks in this match like they they tease the WXW finish again where where Star is so obsessed with winning that he at one point he has Walter in a submission hold um, figure four having done the legwork and he thinks that Walter has tapped 
And that's that was yeah, very similar to the finish of the match we would have seen at Carrot there in March, where he thinks he's won, but he hasn't. And then Walter slaps on the choke straight away, and you think, God, we're going to get the exact same finish to the WXW match again, but we don't. Um, the... The ref bump that Foxy takes is one of the greatest ref bumps I've ever seen. He takes this bump yes. from, from a John Woo drop kick and just completely takes it. Like, like Foxy is a trained wrestler, so he's well able to take a bump. But he takes this bump with his, basically takes his head into the turnbuckles. And the poor guy, like, you swear he's, 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 he's dead in the ring, like the way he sells it. Um, there's the stuff with the UK belt. Like, I mean, you mentioned it there earlier, JP. I was kind of confused when I saw that there was uproar on Twitter uh, about this thing with the belt because they're just using the belt as a prop in, yeah. in the match to, to, to get the story of the match over. And, and they're clearly calling back to the spot in, in OTT where Walter, well, where Walter showed no respect for the OTT belt and threw it to the ground and stamped on it. And here Star is trying to use the UK belt to rile up Walter and to put him off his game and that kind of thing. Um, and I can't see the issue with it really. Um the the one spot in this match that, that put it over the top to me was um, they do a spot. So, so Foxy is down. He's taking the ref bump. And at one point, so and they continue wrestling while Foxy's down. And at one point, Walter pins Star and he, he gets the visual pin like, like the crowd counts to 10 and Star is down for a 10 count. So clearly Walter won the match, except he didn't. But then at another point, while Foxy is down, Star goes to do the same thing. And even with the referee down, and the the, the crowd counts, and the, he, he still only gets a two count off the visual pin. So it's like, even when it doesn't matter, even when the ref is down, and even if getting a three count wouldn't have mattered, he still can't beat Walter, even even in that situation. Like you just see him screaming in agony at this this guy that he just can't beat in any way, shape, or form. Um and then the, the, we get to the finish and Star is so desperate to get the win and he's so, he's so completely consumed by this thing at this stage that he doesn't care about winning clean anymore. He doesn't care about pinning him or tapping him out. So he does the Eddie Guerrero spot where just as Foxy is kind of coming around from being knocked out, he takes the belt, throws it to Walter, lies on the ground. So Foxy comes around and the, and the, the crowd at this point has completely turned as well. And they're completely on Star's side at this stage. It was kind of when he's kind of shown disrespect to the NXT UK brand, that the crowd suddenly gets on Star's side. It's really <laughs> fascinating the way this thing has kind of ebbed and flowed. Um, um, and yeah, like the, 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 and Foxy called for the bell and of course, then Devlin comes out and points out the mistake and then Walter gets the win. So it's the whole thing is flipped here. You know, like the crowd went even for the kind of screwy finish. The crowd went nuts when it seemed it started. Like Foxy called for the bell. His music played. So we were convinced he'd won. and We went insane. You know, like it didn't matter that he hadn't pinned him. It didn't matter that he cheated. We had actually seen David Starr finally beat Walter. And then the funny thing is, it was Devlin that spoiled it. And like, I found myself roaring abuse at George, Jordan Devlin, of all people, like the, the <laughs> massive hometown hero, the baby face that we all went nuts for beating, Dev, beating Walter only a few months ago. So they've, they've completely created a situation in this thing now. Like there's a three-way feud going on where it's complete shades of grey. You know, like Star was the despicable villain. And now we have people going crazy for him winning a match. 
Jordan was the kind of blue-eyed baby face and now there's this kind of signs that he's starting to become like what reason did he really have to go out there and, and change that finish except to kind of spice star you know so it's the whole thing is so fascinating now like you know what I mean and it's kind of we've gone beyond the kind of traditional tropes of face and heel here and we're into these grey areas where it's kind of up to the fans to pick who they want to get behind now and it's going to make for a really amazing atmosphere I think in future in these matches because you're going to have a completely split crowd depending on where your sympathies lie and like nobody's really wrong in this and nobody's right everybody feels like they're justified in what they're doing as well so it's just incredibly layered stuff incredibly layered storytelling um, and it's like some of the best stuff that I've ever seen in independent wrestling you know Did, uh, did all that come across on the VOD, uh, JP? I have to absolutely uh, agree with so much of it um, in terms of uh, the storyline. The only thing I would say in terms of the VOD, and this is something, again, um, that I, me and James, you were talking about before, before we started recording, was it did feel like the crowd wasn't as might considering how hyped up they were and into the match. Mm. And perhaps... There, that would be the only drawback is that obviously you are you aren't there. You don't, there isn't that live aspect to it because I can imagine. So my instant thought is it's kind of on parity, effectively, and I need to see both of these matches again, preferably back to back, with the match they had in Carrot. And like you say, um, they they played off that as well. It's obviously a match you need to go out of your way and see. I mean, Star is, and I think all of us who who love European wrestling and promotions in Europe, he's just the guy. He's um, he's really at the top of his game within the ring. And James, he picked up on, you picked up on so many of the great points in this match, but it always, it felt like there were these little small instances where, um, and you talk about the ebb and flow. While I was making notes on it, the ebb and flow was there, and you'd have these small little instances in the match that where things would completely change. So it kind of felt like the, for the initial start of the match, like his gameplay, he didn't really know, not knowing what to do, but he was like waiting for a moment to be opportunistic. And then there's a point where outside the ring, Walter throws a kick to him, and it just like hits the leg into it. And just like you said, Jamesy, he was on it and he was just like attacking away in it and then working on the other leg. And he does the figure for him on both legs, obviously at separate times throughout the match. And I, I just love the idea of it, of just seeing the opportunity of wearing him down. Um, and it was, it was diff. I mean, and again, I haven't seen all of the other 25 matches in the build up to this, but it, it felt like, how do you make match 26 fresh? And they managed to do that. That's an absolute hell of, hell of an achievement to do. I was also thinking as well, I don't know if I've seen Walter sell as much in a match, but I mean, his selling was absolutely brilliant. There was points in time where he was, he couldn't take advantage of things because his knees would give out. Um, and when he did manage to hit sort of a, a big lariat on star, he's not able to get up and, and he just sort of played into the psychology and you're just completely going along with this match going um, up and down. Um, to make reference to the stamp on the belt, I didn't. It, it was it was soft when you see it on the VOD. He's yeah. not like he's not like trying to break it in half um, on it. But it was great because then what it led up to is Walter then teeing off. Get like that was the thing that made him angry and lose his call, which he'd been kind of looking for. But then he responded by powerbombing him, in, him into a load of chairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was. And it felt like you did have these moments. So you had that power bomb, you had the leg bit at the start, and then you had the visual tap. 
Um, or it was like a fake tap. So he sort of taps and then sort of turns it into a fist again quite quickly. So he thinks he's tapped. The crowd thinks he's uh, thinks he's tapped at that point. Foxy's saying no. And then the crowd got behind Star after that point, sort of reminding him about, like, you know, never beat Walter. And I love the dynamic. Normally, you know, two... It's like you say, the, the heel-face dynamic is, is just sort of evaporated. It's shades of grey. It's complex characters, good people who do bad things. And in an era of quality television, that's kind of what we're, what we're raised on now. And the simplistic tropes that other companies do, it feels tired. And they feel like they're kind of between the three of them. This entire storyline has become so much more complex. There's other figures being dragged into it as well. And, yeah, I'm loving it. And normally wouldn't be a fan of going to a three-way as perhaps a big main event. I want to see what they do. Mm. Even if that's not necessarily my kind of match, I still want to see the direct direction they go in for that match. So, yeah, I'm completely sold on it. With the belt thing, obviously I have not seen the match, but obviously seen all the controversy. But that was such a mm. storm in a teacup because... It plays yeah. perfectly into the storyline as well, because how disrespectful Walter's been to the OTT belt. Yep. So it's just Star going, oh, you're going to disrespect the independent championship. Well, I'll disrespect your corporate championship as well. It plays perfectly into that storyline as well. So I don't. I think that was the point everyone was missing, you know, about Star mm-hmm. and all this independent uh, thing that he's got going on right now. But it played perfectly into that storyline. And um, it's just... It just it just seems to be that uh, OTT have hit absolute gold with this, and it's just—I'm just amazed how long it's continued to be so good. Because so used to like storylines in independent wrestling, sort of like petering out after a couple of months. But the way they've kept this going, I didn't realise that WrestleRama last year was—sorry, uh, I totally forgot that WrestleRama last year was uh, Walter against Devlin the first time, wasn't it? After that uh, tag team match yeah. with Loki. Yeah. So I mean. Uh, a full year, over a year, they've kept this storyline going, and it's just been fantastic. So many dynamics, and like you noted there, JP, all the uh, bringing other people into it, and it's just been absolutely played out perfectly. I think, Jamesy. Absolutely, yeah, um, and it, like JP said, it's it's kind of it's treating wrestling in a sophisticated, grown-up manner. You know what I mean? Like mm. it's not simple, like the. We're all over the, the moustache twirling villain, you know, the, the the bad guy who only does bad things ever. As you said, if you're watching a, something like The Wire, you're watching these characters who are human beings who do stupid things sometimes, who do bad things sometimes, who become consumed so badly by something that they do things they would never do normally. You know what I mean? And it's not that person A, B and C is a bad guy and person D is the good guy. It's It's that these are human beings. You know what I mean? And... That's going to make for a much better atmosphere moving forward. If you've got a split crowd where, you know, I've already debated this whole storyline with with friends of mine who were cheering for Jordan initially. And now, who you know, and you're, you're pointing out the things Jordan did that were justified. And you're pointing out the things where did he really need to be out there on that ring apron? Or is he sticking the knife into Star now? And, you know, is he doing to Star what Star did to him that time when he pulled when he pulled Foxy out of the ring? Like, that's pretty much what's happened. It's gone full circle from that that ring camp match against Star and Devlin, where Star or where Devlin had Walter beaten and Star pulled Foxy out of the ring. And now Devlin has felt the need to do the same thing to Star, basically. You know what I mean? And it's mm. it's just so layered and so sophisticated. And it's um, it's, you know, 
we've heard promotions use the phrase wrestling for grown-ups like but this does very much feel like a, a kind of a grown-up storyline where where nothing is black and white and it's just all these really really great shades of gray and actually if there's one thing i could recommend people do um I, i'm sure most people know um at the Barry Lad on Twitter, uh, mm. one of my friends from Ireland, he's a pretty popular guy. He's he he was so moved by this whole storyline that he the minute he got back to Limerick on, on I think it was Monday night he, he wrote this article on his blog um, talking about everything that we've discussed there about the shades of grey in this storyline about the motivations about how they've flipped everything in, in this whole feud to keep it going for more than a year and like I would definitely say watch the match and then read Barry's blog because it, it really is it really kind of breaks it down in a really really good way if, if you go onto his Twitter profile you, you'll see the link to that um, so yeah as I said just really great stuff you know and it's it's kind of unbelievable for me that I'm getting to see this stuff in Ireland you know what I mean I, I, we, I still have to we take it for granted sometimes but I still kind of have to pinch myself sometimes that mm. This is on my doorstep. You know, I don't have to fly to England or Germany to see this stuff. The best storyline maybe in all of wrestling is down the road for me. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. Like, and it's, you know, every time I take it for granted, I kind of have to remind myself of that, that five years ago we had nothing in this country and now we have this, you know, it's, it's, it's just mm. amazing. Any other quick highlights from this for you, JP? I know you managed to watch um, a couple of other matches from the show. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the other matches that I really wanted to see, and partly because they're two, you know, two of the youngest, um, hottest prospects in in world wrestling, um, Scotty Davis versus Darby Allen, which don't get me wrong, was kind of rough around the edges at, at, at points, but my God, the pair of them! I mean, and and they kind of played perfectly into who they are. They played into the fact that. Um, Alan had been hurt in the match he'd had with Moxley. The the match we had his his hands tied behind the back, so they played into that as well. So he gave Davis this kind of comprehensive win, but at the same time, Alan stays true to who he is as a character as well. So they both kind of benefited from that. And yeah, they they had um, you know, Davis. My God, he's well round, and he looks more and more ripped every time I end up seeing him on an OTT show. And I'm right, is he 19 yet? I this. think he is 19, yeah. He is 19 now. My God, yeah, as a 19-year-old. I mean, for growing a moustache like that, he should be very proud of himself. <laughs> but, yeah, he's he's absolutely top draw, so I'd, I'd go out of my way to, to see that one. Um, I don't know how it came across live, Jamesy, though, uh, for you. Oh, that, that was, it was a really good match live. Um, mm. And in particular... God, Darby Allen is something else, guys. He really, really is. Um I, I had seen a fair bit of his stuff. I would have back when I was still watching Evolve when Evolve was something that was semi-interesting to me. He was always a kind of a standout to me, but you, you know the way you need to see a guy in person to really, really appreciate them. Like this guy is, he's one of the quickest wrestlers just moving around the ring that I might have ever seen in my life. Mm. The speed he gets from A to B, the, he has he he does things in a way that no one else does. Like even even like I would always have associated Darby Allen with big bumps and high flying and that kind of thing. But like the, the first three or four minutes of this match, they did all kinds of this intricate mat work. And Darby Allen does it in kind of it's kind of like a lucha style mat work, and he kind of holds the wrist and does all mm. and just does things in a way that no one else does. Um, and yeah, just like you, you feel like you're just watching two guys who in five to ten years time the world is their oyster like those guys could be anywhere you know what I mean and um, there was one spot in it um, it's it, Darby's kind of on the top rope and he's about to hit his 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 coffin drop 
onto Scotty and Scotty just in one in one leap joins him on the top rope without losing his footing and hits a half and half suplex off the top and it's just these they're effortlessly doing these spots that most wrestlers would never even dream of, of doing you know what I mean and it's just just amazing stuff you know and like that that was that was a really great match I really really enjoyed that any other highlights James before we move on uh, just very quickly, I don't want to take up the whole show with it, but um, I would definitely recommend the Terry Thatcher and Mark Haskins match, um, a rematch of that really great match they had in the ringside club a few months ago. Um, we kind of had a surprise appearance this time. Uh, Vicky Haskins came out with, with uh, Mark, and that was the first time she had ever appeared in OTT. And it kind of came down to her being the difference, basically. And it was kind of done in a way where Terry had him beaten, and then she kind of put Haskins' foot on the rope to kind of help him keep the... T- keep the title and I think there's enough there to kind of get a third match where Terry finally beats him you know what I mean and it's what this feud is doing is number one it's kind of elevating Terry Thatcher into a guy who used to be the guy who main evented the contender shows and now he's a guy who very much belongs in the main shows but also it's it's elevating this gender neutral title that really nobody had any time for for a long time it was kind of brought in as a comedy belt but now you have this really serious feud with great matches going on over it and when you have that kind of thing going on, it kind of elevates the prestige of the belt. And instead of being this comedy belt, it's kind of becoming like the, it's like becoming OTT's US title or intercontinental title, you know. Um, and I think another match that JP watched was the Devil and Guinness match. That's right. Which would you, do you want to talk a bit about that, maybe JP? I did. I have to say, from what I what I saw of it, and I'm I'm, I'm I like Sean Guinness. I think for me, it didn't necessarily have the drama I wanted. Now I was trying to sort of fit it in before we before we started recording, and so it felt like this was all a bit too soon. Um, in terms of how he works, and you mentioned earlier on, he is a really solid hand, and he's been someone I've been fascinated with because obviously there's a good part of his career that we don't ever get to see because it happens in zero one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's it it I really am curious because I'm, I'm kind of thinking, well, who do they go to in a couple of years' time? Who are the people who they that you can see who they're trying to build up, and what can they do with Guinness? I just think at the moment as a as a match, I thought it was it was perfectly fine. It didn't again, and this could have been down to the crowd miking. It didn't feel like the crowd was necessarily into it at points, and that it may well have dragged. Um, I overall, uh, yeah, I thought it was it was it was good, and you know, they. It just felt like I said earlier on. It's a little bit too soon. I don't know how you felt about it, Jamesy. Yes, same thing, and I mean. The, the, I think it kind of exposed him a little bit as not a top guy, I suppose is the best way of putting it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I think what he, what he lacks, I think, is is his wrestling is, is fine. It's very, very good. He, he's really solid. His fundamentals are excellent. I think what he lacks is a little bit of charisma. And I think yes. he looked a little bit overwhelmed by the occasion and a little bit lost in the big venue you know like I think when he has a match in a smaller venue it's quite good but he, he, he you know he, he's playing a heel character and he just maybe doesn't quite have the charisma to pull it off you know what I mean but mm-hmm. like still a very well wrestled match um, you know he, he the story of it was that he worked the ribs and that kind of thing and I suppose when you look at the work he did on the ribs and you look at the work that Star did on, on Walter's knees like yep. that's the difference that's the difference between a good wrestler and a great wrestler you know what I mean, um, but but still, still, I would recommend people have a look at it. I mean, it's a, a good solid match, but just not at the level of the main event, or maybe those other two matches we talked about. 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to checking out that Haskins Thatcher match because um, I watched the previous one they had at Contenders and I really like Thatcher. I feel like he's overlooked, but he's got that great, like, every man look about him, the underdog, yeah. sort of, mm. like, scrappy champion sort of thing. I think he's, uh, he's uh, really worth checking out if you've never seen him before and this would be the perfect show to jump into, I imagine. But um, just before we move away from OTT... Uh, just want to send well wishes to OTT's video maestro, uh, Sean, Sean, who's uh, slipped a disc in his back, but still managed oh, yeah. to produce the fantastic lead-up videos for this event. So, obviously, we all uh, wish him a speedy recovery. And um, just moving on now, and we talked about Chris Brooks heading over to Japan for a tour with DDT a few shows ago, and um, he certainly uh, made us... Splash, if you'll uh, pardon the pun on his uh, first show for the company. I mean, <laughs> if you've never seen DDT before, they're quite unlike any other company um, around the world of wrestling. I mean, uh, it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe them in the same vein as any other company um, around the world. Um, Brooks made his debut for them on their Pool Wrestling 2019, and uh, yes, all the matches took place inside a swimming pool, and it's. It's quite hard to review this as a straight-up match, but Brooks certainly got a lot of attention online. I mean, this got gift galore. I mean, taking part in a false count anywhere five-way tag team match, uh, figure four leg locks down water slides, among many other crazy moves. I mean, Jamesy, it looked like Brooks was having the time of his life out there. I mean, what did you think of this match in the swimming pool? Ah, uh, yeah, it was. It, it, it is. It was happening on, I think it was last, was it last Wednesday morning? Yeah. And I was kind of at work having having a, a sneaking a look at the timeline. And, and the timeline was, was a buzz with people, you know. So, I mean, straight away, his presence in, in DTT has kind of, you know, he's a hugely popular guy in Britain, you know. He, he may be the most well-liked of all the guys on the scene at the moment. And, mm-hmm. like, lots of people were, were putting gifts up, gifts up and that kind of thing. And, like, it's the ultimate gift match, really, you know what I mean? It, it's just pure fun. 33 minutes long, um, but doesn't really feel like 33 minutes at all. Just really good fun to watch. Um, like comedy wrestling wouldn't always be for me. Um, but, but like the stuff in this was so creative and so unique and so innovative that you couldn't help but watch it and just laugh and smile. And um, it's 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 the ideal place for Brooks. I mean, this is it's like. It's like Tuesday night graps, those those kind of crazy shows that they have, but on a bigger scale. And it's like he's getting to kind of bring the creativity he brings to those smaller shows and do it now on a wider scale at a wider audience. And um, it's just the ideal place for him. There's a, there's a, a friend of mine from Ireland here, uh, Jamie O'D, who's he, he, he blogs. He's like a world expert on DDT. And I was asking him about what did he make of Brooks in DDT? And he reckons that he's hasn't seen a foreigner fit in so well in DDT in such a short time <laughs> since, since since El Generico. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with El Generico's run in DDT, like, but but he really got over there, and he had like a legendary series of matches with Kota Ibushi and that kind of thing. In, like, and he kind uh, of children's parks and stuff, weren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like he, he he became beloved over there, and he sees the same thing in Brooks, you know. And I was just looking at Brooks' schedule; he actually has a match for the title on one of the last days of his tour in Corican Hall. And it wouldn't 100% surprise me if they put the title on him because DDT and Fighter Pro have this working relationship now. Mm. And if they're going to try and expand into Europe and kind of get their name known in Europe, Chris Brooks is the guy to put your belt on. I mean, as I said, maybe the most popular guy in the whole of Europe. 
Um, so yeah, something, just something to watch out for. And Jamie was telling me that he also has a match with um, Sanshiro Takagi, who's basically the boss in DDT. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you get a match with the boss, um, you're you're already kind of well thought of, and it's kind of a he just wants to see what you're like kind of a thing, you know what I mean? But it's he, he just he says all the signs are good for him becoming a real big deal in DDT and not just a, a guy who does a tour and has never heard of again, you know. I mean, uh, JP, did you manage to uh, check this match out? It's certainly something very different to what we normally watch. I did. I think I find when I I sort of find myself watching DDT, it's this or it's the show that's on the train. And um, yeah. I remember a, Minor- a Minoru Suzuki match in an empty Tokyo Dome. It, it's it's kind of part of, part of what it is. Um, and I would also recommend if, if uh, I don't know if either of you have seen it, but one of the episodes of The Wrestlers, which I know Damon Abrams been on with... Um, John and Way discussing it as well, but I'd highly recommend the episode that involves DDT. If you're looking for the kind of background behind it um, as a company as well. And really, yeah, like you say, this was a really fun watch and it kind of breaks those boundaries of what wrestling can be. It's something entirely different, entirely unique. It doesn't, it's, it's like a nice, I don't know if you found it the same way when both of you are watching it. I just found it to be like a nice refreshing break. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've spent a lot of time concentrate on it. Exactly. Recently, I've been watching a lot of New Japan in, you know, because there's been so much great stuff on. And instead, now I found myself going, actually, this was like a really nice, easy watch that they clearly enjoyed and great fun. Um, One of the things I'm hoping for is that, um, like you say about Chris Brooks and Tuesday Night Graps, um, because I think he'd be a really good promoter. I think this, yeah. he's got a great mind for, for wrestling and what is popular with people and what so works. He to sell the merch, doesn't he? Exactly, and I. But I think this stuff in terms of promotion, it will give them good ideas for Tuesday night graps and what's kind of possible there as well with that kind of unique atmosphere that they have at those shows. And he's loving it. He's living a, you know, he loves Japanese independent wrestling, and he's living a sort of bucket list dream. And, and good luck to him. And it, and it's kind of nice. I would also say as a British fan, that bit you've seen Chris Brooks on lots and lots of shows. There's like a nice little break in some ways and we get to see him in an entirely different environment and you know the last i think the last thing i saw of him in uh in the ddt was when he's being headbutted by that giant panda (laughs) (laughs) so good luck to him yeah i think another just i mean sticking on ddt didn't they also do some kind of house of horrors with uh kota ibushi at one point where it was like him going through some raid style house and facing off against all these like Horror characters in different rooms. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but it's I'm really up. <laughs> so yeah, something for uh, Halloween time, October. Yeah, I'll bring it back up then. <laughs> but uh, yeah, moving on to some uh, news now, and sort of after a few months of rumours, it was announced uh, last week that after 30 years of uh, being in business together with Sky Air in the UK, WE Programming's moving over to BT Sports from uh, January 2020, and this is obviously going to include Raw, SmackDown, and uh, WE Pay-Per-Views. And I caught up with uh, wrestling historian and author John Lister earlier this week to talk the new deal and the history of WWE on Sky. We're back on the show with wrestling author and historian John Lister, and uh, John, thanks for joining us this week. It's great to be here. And uh, John's recently written a fantastic article detailing the relationship between WWE and Sky TV in this month's Fighting Spirit magazine, and we're going to go into some of the details of that article here, because, of course, 
After months of speculation, it's been officially announced that BT Sport will be the new home of WWE programming here in the UK, ending a 30-year relationship between Sky and WWE. It's obviously a very significant announcement. Um, relationship between Sky and WWE goes back into the early 80s, and uh, the two almost seem to go hand-in-hand with WWE making their expansion into Europe at the same time Sky was starting. And uh, I mean, John, can you just talk some of the history between the two companies and how their relationship was formed and how they both benefited from working together? Yes, yeah, so Sky and WWE is probably one of the longest relationships for any TV sort of network and station has, has ever had with a wrestling promotion. I was just looking up. It's longer than All Japan had with NTV. It's uh, longer than any of the WWE relationships. Obviously, they've been with USA on and off since uh, the mid-1980s, but there have been periods when they've been completely off USA Network, whereas there's always been some kind of uh, WWF programming on Sky TV since at least 1984, and that's before uh, almost anybody in the country really had it, because when, uh, when Sky started... And most people think of it launching in 1989, and that was actually the first time you could watch it on a a dish that was small enough to put on the side of your house because the satellite Sky were using at that point was uh, over Luxembourg, so you could pick up quite easily in the UK. Uh, But it actually goes back to about 1982 as a satellite television when it was being broadcast from, I believe, over Malta. So to pick it up, you had to have a a dish that was something like three metres across. So obviously you had to be on your ground outside in the garden. Um, Only like literally a handful of of people had this in their homes and it was mainly aimed at uh, local cable channels. So it was still quite a, a rare thing for sort of most of the 1980s. But WWF programming was was on Sky from uh, the very uh, latest, 1984. And um, I mean, obviously, WWE was uh, benefiting hugely from this relationship. Obviously, they hosted sell-out tours of the UK and then the big SummerSlam at Wembley Stadium in 1992. Um, was um, was WWE a priority for Sky in these early days of the uh, of the company? Yeah, it's always been um, sort of kind of flagship programming and particularly in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, you'd have things like The Simpsons um, and the idea of kind of American programming. And then eventually in 1992, you have the start of the Premier League, which then obviously became the big priority for for selling sports channels. Um, But even before then, WF Wrestling was certainly very important. Uh, For example, before Sky Sports was a, a premium channel, uh, the first encrypted channel was, was Sky Movies, where so the big selling point was seeing films that had been in the cinema before they came onto BBC. And the uh, pay-per-views like WrestleMania and, and SummerSlam and so on were actually put on Sky Movies, which kind of made no sense as a, a, a marketing sort of, it didn't really seem to fit, but it was, because it was the only way they could... Uh, take advantage of the fact that people would be willing to kind of sign up and pay or more likely, you know, talk their parents into into paying for, for Sky Movies to, to watch for big shows. Because um, also something, reading your article, that I was completely unaware of, that uh, Brian Dixon and All-Star Wrestling, obviously most famous for World of Sport and ITV, had sort of had some kind of negotiations with Sky in the late 80s, early 90s as well. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about Brian Dixon, but definitely uh, Max Crabtree, uh, who was... Uh, Dale Martin joint promotions um, 
once their TV went off on ITV, had sort of gone to Sky to see is there any opportunity to kind of get our programming on there. And Sky pretty much showed him the problem is WWF programming, we're getting it very cheap. It was something like a, a few hundred pounds for, for an hour's programming um, because there was no extra cost to WWF. They were literally, it was uh making a, a tape of the show they were already syndicating all around the states just you know send it over to to the uk to show and and it's pure profit uh whereas had uh joint promotions carried on they'd always have the production was done by itv uh who would go and film it in the same way as they'd go and film a football match or a boxing match uh so sky were now having to tell them well, you you would have to either pay for production costs to us or more likely produce it yourselves. Um, but we can only pay you the, the same money we're paying Sky. And it was just like you'd be spending, you know, 20 or 30,000 pounds to make something you would sell for 300 pounds. And obviously that was not a goer. No, not very cost effective for them, is it? Um, well, I mean, you mentioned earlier there about Sky's priorities shifting onto a uh, Premier League football, especially when that started in '92. And um, I mean, something that was of interest to me as well from the article, and I'm sure most people had forgotten about, that Sky weren't even showing Raw for the first three years of the show. Obviously, Raw started in 1995, um, sort of around the same time that WWE's popularity had declined in the UK. Was this um, was this the major case of Sky not really seeing them as a priority for them anymore? Well, it's, it's always been sort of a, an ongoing theme with uh, with Sky and, and WWE is they, they have this relationship where they're both good for each other. But the, the contracts they sign are always for specific programming or uh, a later point sort of a specific number of hours of programming. And that hasn't always kept up with kind of the, the develop, developments in the States. So when Raw uh, launched it wasn't covered by by sky's kind of existing contracts um so it took a a year or so to actually start showing on on sky until then we had wwf mania which was a, a weekend program that would sort of uh recap some of the events that had happened on raw and of, of course it took some time for raw to become the priority program for wwf and get to a point where it really it had to be on sky because you you weren't really getting the the full picture as a, a fan watching it uh, and at other times there have been sort of new uh, programs launched in the States, I believe Confidential uh, with Gene Oakland when that launched. That took some time to come over here. Also, when uh, Raw went from one hour to two hours, uh, there were several months where we were only getting a one hour version of it, um, missing out on, on sort of some of the things that were going on. Um, and this was, you know, at a time where it wasn't so easy to, you couldn't get online and to kind of watch the American version. So British fans would be, be missing out on quite a bit of the action. What sort of, um, uh, it's peak on Sky. What sort of, uh, ratings are we talking for WWE in the Attitude Era? Uh, I don't remember the, the exact figures, but I mean, it was in the sort of hundreds of thousands. Um, even, even kind of quite late at night um, when it was being sort of shown live if, uh, eventually for, you know, for several years there it was Raw would be shown on a, a Friday night. So if you were active on the Internet, you you were going to know everything was going to happen before it aired. Um, but it's certainly doing doing really well. And it's, it's kind of a testament to the fact that the, the unfavorable hours, if, if people really want to see it, they will see it or stay up late and record it and watch it the next day. Whereas I think um, in more recent years, uh, when people become more kind of lukewarm on programming, that's why you've had this absolutely dramatic collapse over the 
course of a few years in the, the UK live viewing figures where people they may still have an interest in, in WOF. They may watch it the next morning, but there's just not that interest in, in staying up so late. And I think also for three hours, uh, going from two to three hours has really hit there because there's, there's a difference in, in staying up sort of two o'clock to three o'clock in the morning is kind of just about, you know, doable. If you want to watch something, you're not getting up too early the next morning. But when you get to a point, you have to stay up till four o'clock in the morning to kind of watch a live episode of Raw. It's just like, unless you're working the night shift, there's, there's no possible explanation why you'd want to do it because it's not, it's not like staying up to watch a big event. Like if you're watching the Super Bowl once a year or, you know, you're watching the for World Series, but in an ordinary episode of, of Raw, just it, it's, it's why on earth would anyone stay up till four o'clock in the morning to watch it? It's kind of amazing, but they were still getting, you know, 10 or 20,000 people actually doing that. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, you know, with that, obviously, the uh, the ratings have dropped dramatically in the past five years, and um, obviously, the reach of BT Sport isn't as great as Sky's. But I mean, it's the package is slightly cheaper. I mean, the house show attendances over here have already been in decline the past uh, couple of years. I mean, do you think with WWE being on a smaller channel with with uh, less of a reach than Sky, the WWE's popularity over here is going to further decrease uh, with their live shows and merchandise, etc. It's going to be interesting to see on BT Sport uh, how much of a priority they make it, whether there's going to be sort of, you know, primetime replays and whether it's going to be seen as kind of a, a premium product, whereas that's certainly not been the case with, with Sky. I mean, you know, a lot of people have pointed out when they kind of redid the Sky Sports channels a couple of years ago and would have a, a dedicated golf channel, a dedicated football channel, a dedicated cricket channel. Um, not only was there, you know, no kind of combat sports or, or rest specific channel but the wwf programming wasn't even put onto sort of one dedicated of the there was sort of a, a couple of the, the action zone and the kind of miscellaneous channels it was kind of spread across there which meant the, the whole idea of you can only subscribe to you know the channels you need to see your particular sport with with wrestling that wasn't the case you had to kind of pick up a couple whereas bt you know it's anything like they did with the uh ufc uh the may well be filling a lot of hours doing a lot of replays and and kind of pushing that quite a bit um and also be very interesting to see how seriously bt sport kind of take it because they've picked up the the pay-per-view rights on there instead of skybox office it's going to be on the the bt pay-per-view now as to whether they kind of think that is is something that's kind of viable to really push wwe programming and and try and get people to, to go to the pay-per-views or whether they kind of find out that anyone who's who's going to pay to watch it is pretty much getting the network already yeah because that obviously you would imagine that was um, added a lot to uh, sky and wwe having a falling out because um the last time they negotiated the rights was uh, the network launched over here in the uk not long after the, um, they just signed a new deal hadn't they Yes, that, that's one of the main reasons it took uh, almost a year for the network to officially launch in the UK. Obviously, a lot of the more dedicated fans had uh, suddenly found uh, they had uh, American addresses. I think, no doubt, uh, a lot of people were coming from you know Beverly Hills 90210 because it's the only zip code that everyone <laughs> in the UK knows. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that was was kind of a, a real big thing because in uh, the, the pay-per-view numbers were kind of declined that was still a, a, a good little money spinner for for sky getting their sort of fair share of the box office um and to see that sort of completely kind of disappear almost overnight um 
really seemed to have come as a bit of a surprise to them. And sort of you couple that with the lower ratings for the TV, which obviously means you're you're not going to get as uh, as much TV advertising revenue. And really, the only kind of appeal for the Sky at this point, apart from the tradition, is whatever percentage of the audience there is that is. Uh, only subscribing to the sports channels to get the WWF wrestling, which certainly seems to have been back in the, the Sky One days um, and back when it was just a Sky channel. That that always felt like that was a, a big appeal. Uh, whether there really are people now who are, are just subscribing for it and whether that's going to make a significant uh, dent into their subscriber numbers is, is kind of a gamble. We're going to see whether or not it takes off. I mean, we still don't quite know what the relationship is going to be between All Elite and ITV, but if the, could you see someone like All Elite if they do get a foothold on, even though it's just ITV4, obviously it's in a lot more homes than uh, BT Sports, could you see them uh, taking over in the UK as the more dominant brand, or do you feel that WWE is so entrenched in Europe now that it'll never not be the number one company? I think the, the brand name and the exposure is, is still a lot of it. I mean, ITV4 may be different, but we've previously had uh, a lot of times where TNA has had, uh, it's, it's been on freeview channels so every home in the, home in the country can get it. Uh, there's even been times when uh, Impact has, has been getting higher ratings than kind of the Sky Weekly programming. And then when you come to kind of the live tours, WWE was, was still kind of blowing them away because it's just kind of got that um, acknowledgement in the culture. I mean, American wrestling and then WWF wrestling is uh, very much still to, to a lot of kind of casual people in, in Britain is, is what the main uh, kind of wrestling thing is. And I think that's uh, one of the reasons really why I, I'd say it's very unlikely that Sky is going to pick up any other programming itself because I don't think it ever wants to have what would be seen as kind of a secondary brand when like the, the main thing is, is on another channel. So uh, just to wrap up here, could you ever see Sky sort of taking a chance on a, on a UK or a European promotion or maybe uh, broadcasting sort of like the New Japan stuff that's seen on Axis TV in, in the US? I think uh, Will Calling did a, a very interesting article on this uh, a couple of years ago, kind of looking into that as a possibility. And I think really for it to be viable for getting involved in a British promotion, I think it would have to be a case where Sky were doing the production themselves mm-hmm. and maybe had some kind of financial interest in it. Uh, and it's difficult to see uh, that they would have a, enough evidence that that's going to be something that's going to kind of make them a lot of money. Um, I think maybe they kind of missed the slot with because you had the point where you had promotions like um, Progress and ICW were kind of really on the rise. Uh, and they've now got sort of their relationships with, with WWE. Um, I think obviously, you know, RevPro have had their kind of TV experience and been a little soured on the, the situation and obviously want to carry on kind of uh, running their own business. Uh, so I think it's, it's kind of hard to see um, them kind of get involved with a British promotion. Possibly, you know, the, the New Japan stuff certainly would make sense um, depending on kind of the programming costs they were looking for. Uh, and again, if, if Access are interested in, in doing that and could sort of also had a deal with New Japan, it possibly you know could make sense as as something that's affordable for Sky. But again, it's whether they want what might be seen as kind of more niche, uh, more secondary programming. 
So, um, I mean, as well as being a regular contributor to Fighting Spirit magazine, you've also number uh, you've also authored a number of books on wrestling. Uh, most recently, A Good Week Till Next Week, uh, which is about British wrestlers of the TV era, and also a uh, Pure Odyssey, uh, a travel book about your trip to Japan for the January Fourth Tokyo Dome show. Uh, Two fantastic books, especially the latter, if you're uh, considering a tip to Japan uh, next January, definite must-read. Um, any other things that you're currently working on or any other websites that you've been working on? Um, yeah, continuing to uh, work on prowrestlingbooks.com, which is a, a blog of book reviews. Um, did have about 200 of them there. Unfortunately, I've had, uh, had uh, quite a major technical problem when I was moving its uh, hosts and, and lost a lot of content. Um, so that's kind of rebuilding. I'm putting up uh, new blog posts daily um, to, to eventually about 150 of those reviews will be on there. And we also have kind of news of upcoming books. Uh, that are going to be coming out uh, as sort of release schedules and so on. I also carrying on working articles for uh, Fighting Spirit magazine. Um, we've got a good one coming up in the next couple of issues, which is a, a look back at the history of uh, Silver Vision video in the UK. Mm. Um, and look, had a great chat with a guy called Steve Riley, who works there for many years and was a big wrestling fan on kind of you know, the inside the stories of. Uh, some of the problems they've had over the they had over the years. Um, some of you know, the sort of weird and wacky world of of working for this company that was uh, dealing dealing with WWF. Um, their boardroom, which was gradually fuller and fuller and fuller of until the point it was eventually entirely made of uh, WrestleMania ringside chairs, which is quite unusual for a a, a boardroom. Um, <laughs> And also, you know, the various uh, problems they had dealing with the uh, the BBFC, who'd kind of uh, certain things had to be edited out uh, for the videos. So it's a, a really good nostalgic look back for, I think, uh, a lot of people, uh, of certainly of, of, of my era, who were watching it on Sky, would also be spending a lot of their pocket money on sending off for the videos. So thanks to John for joining us on the show. And um, JP, it's um, huge news here that Sky have lost the rights to WWE. I mean, what were your initial thoughts when you find out? I mean, it, it seemed like it was coming ever since the network launched over here. It did, didn't it? It felt like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And the fact that there were so many protracted negotiations, which led to a delay of getting the network in the UK, even though there was obviously the appetite for it as well. Um the thing to really say about it, um, and I don't mind BT because I kind of get BT Sports free with my int, um, with my mobile provider, and I, I know there's lots of other people who who can get it that way. But ultimately, Sky subscribers is about sort of 9.6 million. BT at last count is around 1.8. That's a massive drop. I can't imagine they're getting the same amount of money even as what they were getting before. It felt like getting onto BT Sport is kind of saving face. And I follow UFC, and a lot of the time, BT have not been great with UFC in terms of being able to manage that as a product. Um, for those sort of uh, outside of um, the UK, the real um, the real drawing card is, is kind of Premier League and Champions League. And I think they've even cut down their Premier League package. They still have Champions League um, live games on. So the draws for getting BT Sports, for me, I wouldn't be paying for it if I wasn't getting it as part of my mobile package. And I don't know how many people are going to specifically go out of their way to get BT Sports in order to to watch this. And if you doubling that up with the fact that they're producing a generally terrible product (laughs) in terms of Raw and SmackDown, 
I can't see it getting traction from the start. I can't see BT kind of wanting to get behind it because they're probably thinking this is awful. So, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of high hopes of where it goes from there. Well, it's the box office thing as well. I can't believe they're taking on yes. the pay-per-views with the uh, the net. I mean, who? I mean, I can't imagine the numbers are great on Sky. It must be for people who you know, but don't want streaming services of any kind. <laughs> even more so on BT, you, you think the numbers are going to go down even more, Jamesy? Yeah, and I think it may have been uh, JP and Joe and Benno on mm. the Grapple podcast. A really, really good point they made that no one else has made is not so much the fact that you have to pay a subscription to get WWE, but the fact that there won't be that show on Sky One anymore. Mm. I mean, um, you know, most most people's, I think, exposure, say as kids, you know, you have to start watching wrestling somewhere. And most people, I think, in Britain's first experience of wrestling was probably a Saturday morning on Sky One. You know, the 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 the, the, the one-hour show where kind of Raw and SmackDown are condensed down and it's a highlights package and that kind of thing. And BT, to the best of my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't have an equivalent of Sky One that's yeah. kind of truly available to people. And uh, I, think, I think that's massive. You know, so where is the gateway for kids to kind of, unless their, their, their family has a subscription to BT, they're not going to have that gateway kind of you know, when they may, might stumble upon wrestling when they're watching their cartoons on a Saturday morning. Um, that gateway into wrestling isn't there anymore. And that kind of one hour of wrestling that they might have been getting a week is gone now. And I think that's the massive one. You know what I mean? And I think that's really where um, there's an, an opportunity for AEW who has seemed to have some kind of availability to a, a channel like ITV4, if if that's what's going to happen in future, that's where they could really make inroads, you know, and I mean, maybe they could be the first wrestling company that young kids kind of get exposed to if they put something on the TV on a, on a Saturday morning, on a Saturday afternoon or something like that. And that's where kind of WWE are just that little bit more vulnerable, I think, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like that'd be the ideal thing for AEW to have with ITV if they are on the pay per views and uh, this TV show on there to have like a condensed version of the TV yeah. show on a Saturday morning, like James, you just said there, JP. Yep, hundred percent. I mean, I think thinking about ways of how they're going to try and get around it, whether or not they do an edited program of their own that they put up onto YouTube, I suppose there are the possibilities with things like that. I somehow can't see, I don't know whether or not that'd be something that WWE would actually want, but it is, it's a much bigger problem than kind of what they've led on to, because like you, like James, you just said, how do you start watching wrestling? How do you, as a, as a child, you know, as a child, where are you going to casually come across it? Um, and if they can put something on um, ITV, I, I, I don't know when the kids channels on ITV four on Saturday mornings, if they're able to put it on after that, then that might be a way to go or ITV two. It could be. I mean, these are channels with a big, much bigger reach than what BT sport is going to have. So there's a real chance to kind of clean up, get a bit of a buzz. They've got younger, fresher talent who do more spectacular moves. I can imagine that being much more appealing to um, a younger audience than what current WWE would be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the landscape, certainly, obviously, most importantly for WWE in the US, but certainly over here in the UK is going to be very interesting over the next 12 months. But um, 
I mean, moving on to uh, a new feature on this show. I mean, there's only so much time to cover so many promotions uh, that we talk about every uh, couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, we try as best not to stick to the more well-known promotions, such as Progress Red Pro, but with so many wrestling companies in the UK, um, I mean, you can't throw a stone without hitting a wrestling promotion. We've drafted in Andrew Ogden, uh, host of the Graps and Claps podcast, who spends... Virtually every weekend traveling around the UK, seeing all sorts of wrestling uh, to cover some of the more or less known promotions in a new monthly segment entitled Going Under Graps. Uh, so really pleased to bring Andrew on board. Most UK fans will know Andy and his brother Jeff for their singing and uh, interaction events up and down the country. Uh, certainly create a unique atmosphere at any wrestling event. So without further ado, take it away, Andrew. Hello everyone, this is Andrew from Graps and Claps Audio, bringing you a new feature to the uh, British wrestling experience called Going Under Graps. I'm here to shine a spotlight on some of the lesser known wrestling promotions in the UK and of the going downs in the past month uh, whilst on my travels across the land. Uh, just a little background on myself over the um, past three years, I've been uh, blogging and podcasting about my travels watching British wrestling whilst it has been in this uh, exciting boom period, covering well over 300 live shows, whilst also incorporating the whole fan experience from travel woes to social meetups in local pubs to the actual show itself, basically explaining what it takes to be a fan of, the, uh, of, of a genre like wrestling. So with that said, let's get into what has been going on in the underground scene of British wrestling. First off, let's get into the going downs at Future Shot Wrestling, based predominantly on the outskirts of Manchester in Stockport. This company has been around for 15 years now and has brought through a number of the stars you currently see on NXT UK and beyond in the form of Jack Gallagher, the Grizzle Young Veterans, uh, James Drake and Zach Gibson. Over the last uh, couple of years though, uh, it's branched out into Manchester City Centre at the Fairfield Social Club with its Future Shock tapped shows, missing a combination of great wrestling action with street food and plenty of local ales to give punters um, to its show a real day out experience. So on Sunday the 9th of June, they ran their fifth instalment of um, their tap series with the basis of the matches being the more experienced Northwest wrestlers like CJ Banks, Kevin Lloyd, and Joy Hayes taking on some of the best up and comers on the local scene. For instance, Tom Felwell, Callum Corey, and Luke Jacobs, respectively. The latter, especially, is one to keep an eye out for for the future, either in singles action or in tag team action with his uh, tag team partner, Ethan Allen, who's currently recovering from injury. On this evening, in the main event for the Adrenaline title, which is um, equivalent to, let's say, an intercontinental title, it was young Jacobs taking on the current champion, Joey Hayes, who's held on to the belt for a considerable time. As someone who's been a veteran of the Northwest scene for many years and is considered as one of the best never to have gotten one of the big contracts in like the major companies, in what was a back-and-forth contest, Will be Azo coming out with a victory with the uh, cross A submission, like a cross face to Luke. Uh, this match was certainly one where Luke Jacobs came out with a lot of respect from the crowd, earning a standing ovation in the process. And like I've said, keep, keep an eye out for the lad. He, he, big things are on the horizon for him. Uh, on 21st of June, um, this, this past week, uh, Future Shock took over the 
Longfield Suite in Presswich for their Underground 33 event, with the main event of Future Shot Wrestling Champion John McGregor taking on the challenge of Sonna Derson, who's consistently been one of the standouts of the promotion with his adrenaline title run, being one of the most successful periods for the company with such great matches with Travis Banks, uh, Rockstar Spud, Drake Maverick, and Pete Dunne, to name a few. In what was an excellent main event, Sonner finally reached the top of the mountain for the promotion by hitting a top rope frog splash to McGregor uh, to become the new champion. Also on the show, we had a special announcement for Future Shock's anniversary show on the 17th of August, with resident baddie Sam Bailey being faced with the challenge of Future Shock alumni and 205 Live competitor, the gentleman Jack Gallagher, what I'm sure will be um, a contest not to be missed. For those who are interested in searching out Future Shot Wrestling, go out and check them on their Facebook and Twitter for more information on tickets. Plus, you can subscribe to their on-demand service, which is a huge back catalogue going back through the years of the promotion. Uh, Their net shows will be on the 14th of July at Stockport Town Hall and on the 4th of August back at the Fairfield Social Club where there'll be uh, a Champions vs Champions tag team match with the uh, tag team champions, the Grizzle Young Veterans, facing off against the World and Adrenaline Champions, uh, which are Joey Hayes and Sonna Derson. So that big big stakes in that matchup. Um, Plus a reminder that their... um, Anniversary show that takes place uh, on the 17th of August back at the Longfield Suite in Presswich, but there'll be more to come in the uh, coming months regards that show. Uh, next up on Going Under Graps is a first-time visit I took on the 15th of June to one of the party capitals of the UK for North Wrestling, who are now into their third year as a promotion. And they're one who are building quite a following, both in the city and online, for their consistently excellent shows and reports of an atmosphere akin to the early days of progress wrestling in the garage. Uh, on this evening, we had the main event of uh, Spike Trevay versus TK Cooper versus Rory Coyle uh, for the North Wrestling Championship, uh, where Coyle had held the belt for a total of 442 days, which getting up to uh, CM Punk standards of long-ass title reigns. Uh, in a match which certainly exceeded my expectations, it would be Spike Trevay who would end Coyle's reign as champion, with help from the anti-fun police team of Chief Deputy Dunn and Los Federales Santos, to much derision from the crowd in attendance. After the match, Trevay got onto the mic to proclaim this new faction of himself and the Anti-Fun Police as the coalition, like in a wink and a nod to the uh, what's going on with the Tory party. Well, the Tory, what Tory party and the Liberal Democrats did a bit back, um, which I'm sure which will bring uh, much chaos to the promotion in the coming months. Also in the aftermath, former champion Coyle got into the mic to say that due to his loss, he was ready to take some time off from the promotion to recharge his battery. So um, we'll see, we shall see where this leads. Um, to search this uh, match out, plus other good matches on this show involving Will Cruz vs. Screwface Ahmed, Robbie X vs. Ho Ho Lum, and Gabriel Kidd vs. HD Drake. Go and check out North Wrestling's on demand service for this show, plus the rest of their back catalogue. I, for one, am certain though you'll enjoy this and maybe take the trip to Newcastle sometime in the future, which I can say on first hand experience is excellent for bars chip shops and all-round friendly people. Next up, we get into Grand Pro Wrestling's recent show at the Monaco Ballroom in Inley, 
which is based on the outskirts of the northwest pie-eating mecca of Wigan for a show called A Night to Remember. Now, Grandpa Wrestling has been running shows for around 16 years now in the northwest. It's very much a monthly storyline promotion, which has uh, consistently drawn a good attendance to its shows over the years, um, primarily in the Monaco Ballroom, the Rose Club. A lot of the wrestlers used here are the cream of the crop of the Northwest wrestling scene from Big Joe, Tyson T-Bone, Joey Hayes, Sonnet Erson, Matthew Brooks, Ashton Smith, just to name a few. The main event of this show, though, featured the rematch between Mickey Barnes of the Triumvirate of the Bad Lads, taking on former local boxer turned wrestler in the form of R.P. Davis. In the original match, due to outside interference, Barnes had pinned Davis, who was on his debut, on that evening, so for that reason, uh, the rematch was made into a lumberjack match to nullify any skullduggery that could possibly go on. In a perfect example, though, on how to hide the negatives and exude the positives of what is basically a rookie wrestling RP Davis, this match hit all the high notes with the crowd fully behind RP, with their support lasting around 15 minutes. RP Davis would get the win with a huge flying elbow, drop to Barnes to get the popular win to send the locals home happy. In other news from this show, we had Martin Kirby pulling off a shock victory over um, an up-and-coming wrestler from Yorkshire in the form of Lucas Steele, who has all the required tools to make it big in the business. Very similar to uh, Mike Awesome uh, from the late 90s with his slick long hair, big frame and the ability to move around for a big man. Another year or two and he could be grazed in a WWE ring. You've heard it here first. Uh, as per every year of this show as well, we had a new inductee into the GPW Hall of Fame, which generally goes to someone who's had a big influence on the GP on the GPW promotion and also the local scene. This year's recipient of the award was none other than ringside photographer Tony Knox, who's been a staple of the UK wrestling scene, taking photos up and down the country. Of the many, many, um, many of the stars that Grace has seen over here, a well-deserved round of applause was in order for the uh, man from Mersey's side. GPW were back in action on the 16th of August, but if you are interested in their products, they do have an on-demand service, with new shows costing around three ninety-nine to uh, download, so go and check them out. Last but not least, on Going Undergrabs, we focus on title Championship Wrestling Show, that took place at the New Cross Inn in London on the 23rd of June. Now, Tidal, who have been predominantly running Leeds in the north of England for quite a while now, taking in a multitude of venues in the city, from uh, Stylus, O2 Academy, The Church, and now their resident home in the uh, Temple of Boom, which is also a vegan cafe, of all things. Uh, the promotion over the last year or so, uh, since moving to the latter venue of the Temple of Boone, has built itself a cult following and a consistently shows of uh, excellent quality, so much that this year they have branched out into other regions like Newcastle and London. Despite running against another promotion in the nation's capital on the same day, the promotion drew a small but rowdy crowd to the New Crossing, which is a punk rock venue by uh, by day. Highlights from this show included the TCW title match between newly crowned champion Chuck Mambo, who defeated the former champion Sugar Dunkerton at the last show to become the um, the champ, and in turn also turning on Sugar. Boo that man. Mambo's opponent here was resident title regular Sean Only, 
who's been with the company from almost the get-go. In a good main event to end the almost two-and-a-half-hour show, it will be Mambo who would get the win by low-blowing only, and then locking in a figure-four leg lock to pass out only, who during the match had his limbs worked on extensively by Mambo. In what was the best match of the day, though, um, was a collision between one of the best up-and-comers on the scene in Brady Phillips, taking on veteran UK wrestler James Mason, who comes out to the sounds of status quos rocking all over the world. Go and give that song a listen. Uh, despite being in the twilight of his career, Mason showed he's still got the wrestling nous against his much younger opponent, and on a couple of occasions came in with a whisker of beating Brady. Sadly, though, for James, he was pinned by Brady, <clears throat> who had his feet on the ropes, much to the disgust of the crowd who remonstrated with head referee John Parker to no avail of overturning the results. So, if you're interested in searching out uh, title championship wrestling, they do upload their shows to the High Highspots Network, plus DVDs and Blu-rays are available, so go, go check them out. Tidal next run the um, Temple of Boom for High Tide in the um, coming week, which uh, I'll talk about in the next episode. Uh, so, there you go. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening and uh, learning about some of the lesser talks about promotions in the UK. And hopefully you will go out your way and check their material, whether it be a live show or on demand. Uh, in closing... You can follow me on Twitter at Oggypart3. That's O-G-G-Y-P-A-R-T-3. And if you would like to hear more reviews about my travels across the UK, please visit my podcast, Graps and Claps Audio, on grapsandclapsaudio.podbean.com, which features talk on wrestling, beer, food, and a multitude of topics with many special guests across the UK. Uh, next time you'll leave from me uh, will be with reviews of Tidal Wrestling in Leeds, uh, Bree Pro Wrestling Show in Sheffield on the 14th of July, plus a report from a new promotion in Northwich um, Cheshire uh, called In Out Wrestling, featuring, of all things, WXW superstar Jern Simmons wrestling in a park. Unbelievable. So... Until next time, it is goodbye from me. Bye-bye. Thanks, Randy, for taking us through this, his month in wrestling, and he'll be back next month. And, uh, I mean, we've come to the midway point in 2019, and since there uh, weren't that many shows for us to review this month, we thought we could do a bit of a mid-year report and chat our best and worst of European wrestling this year so far. And... I mean, first category that sort of really stands out for you is promotion of the year, and obviously this encompasses uh, encompasses all of Europe. And uh, I mean, I'll go first. It's out of all the promotions that are currently running, Europe's still got to be OTT for me. I mean, they've been hampered by the lack of venues in the hometown of Dublin. There hasn't been an easy way for them to continue storylines. But I mean, as far as in-ring match quality and consistency and the continuation of one of the best stories in European wrestling with the triangle of uh, David Starr, John Devlin and Walter. This delivered some fantastic matches as we saw uh, Starr v. John Devlin in February. I mean, the incredible video packages that have been coming out from Sean Ryan. And just um, all in all, I mean, the immense roster that they've got and all these up-and-coming uh, new Irish talent that James was talking about earlier. And uh, I mean... 
out of all the promotions in Europe, uh, they're definitely um, out of the six months of the year so far. Definitely number one for me. I, I'm, I'm sure you were thinking along the same lines, Jamesy. Yeah, like I mean, I, I don't want to come across as as, as the Irish <laughs> man and that kind of thing, but t- to me, they're 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 quite comfortably ahead of the rest, you know. Um, and for all the reasons we, we we talked about earlier, there's no need to repeat what what I said already about the the, the Devlin Walter starting you know that that's clearly to me the, the best storyline in wrestling um I, I you know when you think about promotion of the year i, I kind of think about a few different things so um number one are they putting on great matches and you know i, I look at my match of the year list and i see in my top say just if, if you're just limited to, to europe i have kind of 12 matches above four and a half stars and one two three four five of those are from ott so they're, they're putting on the great matches they're doing the great storylines they're you know, in in a in a scene that's losing stars and losing talent and losing not just the top guys but the next level of guys down almost on a weekly basis, they're they're doing their best to bring through the next generation. You know, so they, they've got more than hype, and and they're they're, they're kind of they, they've pulled back on the push for them a little bit. I think in the first six months of the year, and I think they'll probably go full pelt with them in the second half of the year. Now they've kind of put them on a, a bit of a, a bit of a winning run, um, so they're doing their best to nurture youth. Um, the contender shows have slowed down a little bit. I would like to see them putting those on a little bit more regularly because we wouldn't have more than hype. We wouldn't have Scotty Davis being as good and as polished they are, as they are without those. Um, and, they, you know, they're working in kind of in tricky waters, you know, like they, they've, they've somehow managed to negotiate the whole NXT UK thing and continue to tell their stories and that kind of thing. Um, I suppose looking down the list, the, 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 the only promotion that I would kind of put anyway close to them really would be WXW um, I think Carrot just based on Carrot weekend alone I mean JP was there himself that was a fantastic mm. weekend of wrestling you know uh, really well done really well put together they're putting on the great matches as well you know like I mean Walter's weekend alone at Carrot had three or four stellar matches um, those inner circle matches um those Yuki Ishikawa matches, there was the tag match at Inner Circle and the match at Ambition. Like, I mean, you know, I, I'm probably alone in loving those as much as I did, but to me, they're up there with match of the year again. I do think WXW are slipping a little bit in, in the kind of non-big weekend way. Like, I remember last year they would have had, they would have had a run there kind of between Carrot and Tag League, where their monthly shows were fairly must-see. Like, and I remember like, it, my interest was kept up every month. I, I felt like I had to watch those shows. And I don't see much buzz around their monthly shows kind of since Carrot. You know, they, they have Bobby Guns as champion, and I feel like he's he's a, a kind of a weak champion. He, his run hasn't done an awful lot for me. Um, the match quality has kind of dropped a little bit. Like, I, I just had a look at my own spreadsheet from this year and last year. And in... In, in the first six months of last year, I had WXW down for 27 matches at four stars or more. And this year, it, that's dropped to 16. So, I mean, they're kind of, it's almost halved the quality matches. I think losing kind of exclusivity to the likes of Ilya and Walter, who were having like their rivalry last year was incredible. They had three or four amazing matches. Those guys aren't doing as good a work in WXW as they did before. Um, Star hasn't been there as much. Thatcher hasn't been there as much. So the kind of the top guys who were giving them those great like uh, those great matches last year aren't there as much, and it's just hurting the quality a little bit, you know. So really, kind of OTT are the guys who have kept their level 
compared to last year, whereas I see a drop off in most other promotions. I, I don't know how you feel about that, JP. Or it's it's hard. Uh, I mean, you both said OTT. I'm going to be boring as well. I've got to say OTT. Yeah, I think it's OTT, you, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and there's and there's kind of no getting around it. I mean, I put down the four kind of key points. You mentioned it there. It's just there's an overall consistency, the business, the the kind of the amount of good wrestling that's going on in the ring, the storylines as well, things that we've reflected on um, throughout the show. And in Europe, it's impossible to kind of look at anybody else. I mean, I, I look at WXW and it feels to me that there's, I, they miss shotgun. For me, that's, that's something that they, I think that they really missed is just that one hour, easy to watch television program. I mean, a show I'm fond of watching is MLW fusion. It's not always the greatest, but it's a very easy watch. And I think they missed that rather than going for the sort of live road to events, because I mean, I mean, it's, it'd be like watching New Japan. I, I can't always watch to say a road to a new beginning because it just feels like you know there's so many of them that they yeah. that they lose what's special about them. And there's things storyline wise that's been going on recently. I'm not a big fan of some of the stuff that's been going on with leading up to Lucky Kid Bobby Guns. I think what Guns has missed is kind of having that almost consistent present and just being able to deliver the sort of little promo segments that are easy to put up onto YouTube and up onto Twitter so they can go social and people can keep updated. I think, I think they're missing that aspect of it. Um, I don't have any doubt that the, that the tag festival will be, will be excellent, but it does feel like post carrot, there's been a real sort of not, not a precipitous drop, but certainly a bit of a drop, a drop. And it's, going to be interesting to see how they they pull it back i think is it shortcut to the top is the next big event so i think there's a degree of pressure on that for how good that's going to be um oh sorry i also want to mention and this probably goes into the much bigger issue there's been some much smaller promotions and andy ogden would have would have mentioned them already but that have been setting up like that i think have done a good job in trying to establish themselves in a crowded marketplace and i was going to say uh, Tidal is one, being able to run shows in Leeds and in London. That's a hell of achievement. I think Breed, uh, I mean, I'm not, you know, the fact that they're running the Star Cave show and the fact they're booking people like Daniel McAbey, who um, I'm hoping for Jamesy sake alone manages to do a tour of Ireland when he's over there as well. <laughs> I feel deeply cruel to him if Come that's wrestling not... wrestling Jamesy's back garden for the weekend. No bother. I have him no bother yet. <laughs> And a company that's always done really well, and I'm going to see them on the on the fifth of July is Riptide, mm. and I've always enjoyed yeah. the work they do. Now they're not obviously on the level of an OTT, but it's good to see promotions like that having sort of strong starts to the year. Yeah, they were going to be my honourable mention because I mean they've only run three Sorry. shows so far this year, but they have a very unique product and are doing some great stories and utilising wrestlers who aren't doing so well in sort of some of the major promotions, and they're utilising them more to their full potential, aren't they, Jamesy? Exactly, yeah, and I mean I think we we reviewed the, the Rumble show on here, and like still for me that's one of the most enjoyable top to bottom shows mm. I've seen this year. Just a really easy watch. Um, I, I really enjoyed your interview, JP. Actually, with is it mm. Josh? Um, Josh Bevan, yeah, yeah, for, from Riptide. I just feel like they're very genuine in what they're trying to do. I feel like they yeah. are very much aware of 
the need to kind of stay in their own lane and not get too ambitious. I think they're sensible in that they're slowly trying to grow things rather than kind of getting ahead of themselves, you know, and I feel a big mistake some some smaller promotions make is kind of trying to run before they can walk, you know, and I feel like they put an awful lot of love and attention into what they do. Like I was really impressed when he was talking to UJP about um about the, about bringing in a title to Riptide. And I mean, what most new promotions do is they'll kind of crown a champion on their first two or three shows. They'll run a tournament and crown a champion. And it was very important to them that they would kind of hold back on that and build up characters, first of all, and kind of test the waters, find out who people care about the most, nurture that. And then when the time is right to put the belt on a guy like Chuck Mambo, who I, I know you've had a, a checkered mm-hmm. history with JP in the past. He hasn't always been someone you enjoyed. <laughs> but, but Chuck Mambo and Riptide like, is, is one of the most over guys in Britain. You know, if you talk about Absolutely. a guy, yeah. he's basically like the Jordan Devlin and OTT of Riptide. Those fans love him because they took the time to build him up, to make the fans care about him. And then they decided to put the title on him, you know, and I think that's the kind of, that's the kind of booking we need, you know, and I mean, we'll probably talk in a while about maybe promotions that that we haven't enjoyed and that kind of thing. But to me, the bigger UK promotions in particular are kind of slipping. But what gives me confidence about the European scene and in particular about the British scene are those promotions you guys mentioned. The smaller promotions seem to be kind of like there's so many smaller promotions around and they all seem to be mm. doing business well at that level where you draw kind of 100, 200, 300 to your shows, you know, and mm. they're giving guys a chance. And what happened with NXT was we basically lost almost a whole generation of top guys, you know, like the top guys maybe three or four years ago were Zach, Osprey, Marty. And they naturally kind of left the scene because they were so good that they ended up in America and Japan. But the way they left was a very natural, they kind of gradually left the scene in the way we were used to wrestlers leaving the scene. They outgrew, I think Benno was talking about Osprey. He's now outgrown the British scene naturally because he's just too big a star for Britain now, you know. But the next generation of guys underneath them, the Tyler Bates, the Trent Seven, the Pete Dunn, the Zach Gibson, they should then have taken over from those guys and become the top guys in the UK. And that whole level of talent was just completely whisked away. Yeah. So the, the scene was kind of left a little bit barren. And I think the bigger promotions are still suffering because of that. And it's the smaller promotions like your Riptides, your Tidals, your Kamikaze pros that are kind mm. of nurturing. They're nurturing along the Chuck Mambos, the Spike Treves. The TK Coopers are finding their feet again. And that's what gives me hope is that those promotions are all kind of doing well in their own way. Not, not you know, not drawing huge crowds, but being able to run on a regular basis. And I mean, the, the, you know, the British scene is maybe a bit more robust than we give it credit for sometimes. You know, it's at the top of the scene, maybe it's it's slipping and the glory days, you could say, are over. But underneath, there's an awful lot of good stuff going on, you know, and I think that's kind of if we can kind of see out the next year and if some of those guys can kind of get elevated, I think things, things could look an awful lot more healthy kind of in a year's time. Well, I mean, you mentioned it there. I mean, rather than try and delve into a worse promotion, I mean, the UK scene in general, I mean, it has been really inconsistent this year, especially for the major promotions. I mean, there has been some good stuff, obviously, the Aussie Open v Swords of Essex feud in progress saw some great matches. I mean, I was really yeah. high on the TLC match. They had a uh, bread knife. I mean, Brad mm-hmm. Pro had a really shaky start to the year. I mean, it seems to be turning over a new leaf now. I mean, they had a really strong epic encounter show headlined by that 
El Fantasma against David Starr ladder match, and then uh, they had that amazing cockpit match between Pac and Michael Oku, and uh, mm. seeing their main belts defended on New Japan shows, which is something that uh, can get overlooked um, quite often, I think. Um, I mean, however, like you know, there, James. I mean, when you compare the UK scene to the last couple of years, it's it's nowhere near the level it was. I mean, progress as tentpole event, Super Strong Style sixteen. I mean, you had some decent showings from the likes of David Starr and Jordan Devlin. Was I mean, nowhere near as good as previous tournaments from other years. And uh, some Red Pro shows. I mean, they sort of seem like they've been thrown together in some of the matches. I mean, Pack v Will Osprey hampered by the booking of that, even though I was quite high on the majority of that match other than the finish. Um, I mean, ICW, I mean, they were the main promotion who started this whole UK boom who seemed to have fallen off a cliff. I mean, let's not even go into NXT UK. Uh, They're holding absolutely (laughs) no one's interest. I mean, JP, it's been a very, very trying year for the major UK companies, I feel. It really has, and I think it gets back to a central point of what benefit has NXT brought about to the overall European wrestling scene. It appears to have stockpiled a lot of wrestlers, um, put them onto a television project where they're never really allowed to be used to the best of their abilities because there is a, a kind of formatted style that is generally permitted, whilst to the detriment of a lot of other companies um, who can't use other wrestlers because of well, let's be honest, WWE's psychopathic need to control everything that exists within <laughs> wrestling. So I, I'm not a fan of NXT UK. Um, I, and like I say, like, you know, at the start of the year, you hope like, OK, where is this? Where is this product going and where is it? Uh, where is it getting to? It still feel like it exists to basically gobble up ta- talent from Europe and keep them in a holding pan to prevent others from using them better. And if that's still at the, the central core message of it, rather than because I, I look at it, it is a it's I've written on notes here. It's painful to it's painful to watch a sanitized version of everything you liked on the indies, but without any original originality or edge. So you've seen these people, you like them, you enjoy watching their matches, and you think of all these great matches you've seen in the past. But when you see NXT UK, you don't see any of that. They're there, but it's like a, a it's like a husk of what some of these wrestlers were doing on the independent scenes, and they would be getting better if they're out there working with lots of different people as well. So it doesn't actually benefit the industry there. And there's lots of younger wrestlers. We mentioned about all the people who who perhaps um, uh, you know need that kind of nurturing. They also needed re- experienced talent to work with. So I look at NXT UK as like as being as having overall a negative effect on Brit- on British and European wrestling. I don't know what you both think about that. Oh yeah, like I mean we we, we seem to we seem to talk about this every every two weeks <laughs> and you've got your guys on Apple podcast say the same thing, you know. It's yep. um it's a cynical enterprise. It, it was done to suppress other people and this mantra I hear rolled out, you hear it on Twitter all the time, you hear William Regal saying it that, that, that we're helping the scene. They're not helping the scene. Look at look look, you know, look I don't want to be too hard on the British companies, but if you look at even go on to Cage Match and look at it. I remember um somebody put the card for Epic Encounter twenty seventeen on Twitter there lately. And compared it this year's like, and it was, it was, it was on the, the difference was unreal. Like you had Osprey on there, you had Zach on there, you had Marty on there, you had Noam Dar, 
you had other guys who were like you had big indie st- like the other thing we, we, we don't talk about a lot is the UK promotions and European promotions are struggling to bring in stars from the US now because they've all been signed as well. Mm. Like they, they have completely gutted the US indie scene as well. So before you could bring in a Jeff Cobb, you could bring in a Matt Riddle, you could bring in a Shane Strickland, you could bring in, you know, all these guys that, that were kind of padding out these cars and having the dream matches that were filling your call. All of them are gone as well. So it, it's, it's not just this scene that, that, that they've kind of done damage to by proxy, by, by reducing the, the, the number of imports they can bring in, the quality of the cards is just not the same. And, it, you know, you see it in attendances as well. You know, like, I mean, the OTT show that I was at at the weekend was probably down 500 compared to the one even earlier in the year. Um, for the first time in, in that I can ever remember, there were still tickets for the electric ballroom available for progress um, mm. the week of the show. Like that used to be a thing where if you weren't online and within 10 minutes of them going available, you weren't going to the show, you know. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's match quality as well. Like, again, I did a comparison last year. At this point of the year, I had 21 progress matches at four stars or more. This year, it's down to five. So it's 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 75% down on last year. You know, like if you think back last year, Progress, even though progress booking wasn't great, and even Mm. though they kind of gave up telling storylines, they could still throw a match like Zack Sabre Jr. against Tyler Bate on that Manchester show. One of the best matches of last year. Phenomenal match. You know, that match can't be done anymore. Um, And it's not just NXT UK as well. Like, I mean, progress has been affected by the fact that the guys who run Progress also run NXT UK. And (laughs) they really have. Like, yeah, Yeah. I mean, so they've stubbornly refused to hand the reins of the company over to anyone else. But at the same time, it really feels more and more that Progress is very much their second priority. NXT UK is their priority. Like, you think about the first six months of the year, like there have been some good matches, like you said, Martin, that, that, that Aussie Open and Swords of Essex feud was, was great. I loved that um, ladder match. Um, I did think the, the I was going to say Carrot, the Super Strong Style 16 final was a very good match between Star and Devlin. Mm. I thought I thought the Devlin Kyle O'Reilly match was quite good. There are the odd mm. match here and there, but name a compelling storyline that Progress have run in the last six months. At this point of the year, there's nothing that they had. No, the, the do not resuscitate thing was was a shambles. Like they put these four guys and to four guys, I feel very sorry for, to be honest. They put them in a faction, but really it was just to pad out cards. And then they more or less embarrassed them at Super Strong Style 16. And more or less, they've killed those four guys in the company now. Like, I mean, and I see that they're back on cards again now, and I can't believe it because surely to God, that stable is dead, you know. Yeah. But that's the closest thing they have come to with to a storyline this year. Apart from that, um, they've. it's funny, actually. I was thinking about this the other day. Rev Pro used to be the company that put on matches for the sake of it. You know, uh, good matches mm-hmm. that people would want to see. But without the storylines... And progress were the guys you could rely on to tell compelling storylines, to build people up, to kind of, you know, get you invested in seeing the next show. And that's completely flipped now. Like, I mean, Rev Pro are doing, <laughs> Rev Pro are kind of doing their best now to tell stories on the, on the, the cockpit shows. They're trying to build up younger talents. They, they did that Michael Oku thing. Um, David Starr, like the, the Star El Fantasmo storyline stretched back nearly 12 months. They're doing their best to tell good stories from show to show. And now the best thing we can say about, like, there are some interesting matches on upcoming, like Progress are doing 
Gresham against Eddie Kingston. And that's a really fascinating match on paper. <laughs> It's a match I want to see, but it's the most unprogress like thing to just take two guys from America and throw them into a match like that. That is not what they were doing two or three years ago when that they were at it. used to be their thing, wasn't it? They'd be like, oh, look at they use all these homegrown guys, and there's like yeah. one import on maybe, yeah. you know, three shows a year. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's, it, it's completely done a 360 where, where Rev Pro are the guys now trying to kind of build things up and tell stories, and progress are just. I feel like they're just completely going through the motions, you know, um, and it's very sad to see, you know, and again, it's a kind of an indirect result of NXT UK because the guys running it, they couldn't possibly run two big promotions like this. You know, it's hard enough to run progress as it was with all the shows they did. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 sad to see really more than anything. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, but. I mean, moving on to, uh, I mean, wrestler of the year. I mean, we all know it's Will, Will Ospreay, but... Um, oh, sorry. Before, him. before you start on wrestler, can I say a, a, a notable mention for work, uh, for most, certainly, disappointing promotion? Yep. Just if only because of Mania, IPW. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I've forgotten they even existed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going through another ownership change, I think, anyway. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean... We're disqualifying Will Ospreay from Wrestler of the Year because it is Will Ospreay, but it'd be boring if we all just <laughs> talked about Will Ospreay again. We've talked about him ad nauseum on this show. I mean, um, I mean, JP, who has been your European Wrestler of the Year? Who's excelled the most for you um, that isn't Will Ospreay? Well, I suppose if I can't go for a boring choice in Ospreay, I'm going to go for what is probably another um, obvious boring choice in David Starr, um, who at this stage is is European for me it's kind of bizarre it's like he's Mr. European Wrestling he is (laughs) the reliable constant in all of these companies that we all watch on regular basis and then still getting to see him work um, some good indies and you know and I mentioned we mentioned some of the the good indies earlier on in the show and he's been appearing on those as well Um, he's just like the complete package at this point Mm. It feels like everything about him has kind of culminated. And the character that he is, and you'll know this uh, when you when you speak, see him and speak to him, it is very much an extension of him. Like the beliefs are very much an extension of his beliefs. Some people don't particularly like him. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with them. But everything is there. Um, he is an absolutely compelling presence from beginning to end as he comes out. You can't help but be engaged. He sort of raises the atmosphere. He works so well on his feet. The amount of different styles he works, the sort of variation in him being able to do sort of comedy to to serious wrestling to to kind of go from being arrogant to lovable in a heartbeat. I mean, this is desperately impressive stuff. So, and the good thing is, you'd like to think, with him setting up um, We Are Independent, is that means that he'll be on lots of the indie shows that we want to see, so... Yeah, exactly. And just to go back to what you said about it being an extension of his character, but turned up to 10. I mean, that's some of the most successful wrestlers. I mean, talk about The Rock, Stone Cold, whoever you want, some of the most successful wrestlers of all time. And that has essentially been their character, hasn't it? Just themselves turned up to 10. So, yeah, I mean, certainly um, seems like Star's using that formula to great success. But, yeah, just to uh, add to what you said there, yeah, James, I'm sorry, JP. I mean, he's... Just every, I mean, the amount of storylines that he's involved in different promotions and how he's kept them going and how uh, 
uh, how good he's been doing, doing the promos and then these great matches mm-hmm. he's been having with the likes of El Fantasmo in Red Pro and obviously this fantastic storyline in OTT and then nipping over to Germany and WXW and, and maintaining his presence over there. I think he's, he's just been brilliant juggling all these different things because you know he must have a, a lot of input in, in his stories, uh, Jamesy. Oh yeah, and I mean, he's 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 the he's the next. Like, I mean, I suppose I, I would say Osprey is my worldwide wrestler of the year who is from Europe. But I mean, I suppose the the vast majority of Osprey's work is New Japan. So I mean, if if we confine it to the European scene, I would say it's Star for sure. Um, I like I think you you guys have have pretty much nailed everything there is to say about star what the, the variety is unreal like even within the matches like you said face or heel um if you want him to bleed you know and and, and bring out that match davy he can do it like he did against el fantasmo if you want him to if you want him just to come in and have a good wrestling match like i watched i know it's not from europe but i watched um him against gresham from pwg there during the week it was from march and like they, they just put on a wrestling clinic, like and his pure wrestling ability is as good as anyone else in the world. So, like, name a weakness that David Starr has at this point. What what isn't he good at? You know what I mean? And that, that's mm. that's a very short list of things. I can't think of anything. You know, his, his pure acting, his promos, those. You know, every time he does a video for OTT, it's it's like a major event because you just know he's going to deliver something compelling and gripping. Um, I suppose just to move away from him, like when I was making my list, it's it's it really came down to that trio of guys again. <laughs> and it's the three guys who are at the top of OTT, really. It's Walter, Starr and Devlin. And I mean, we'll talk in a while about guys who have maybe fallen off and guys who have maybe whose output has completely fallen away in the last few years. And that's something you could say about a lot of NXT UK guys. But, but the one guy, and I give him great credit for it, that's still treats the indies like he did before he was signed as Walter. And I mean, um, mm. you know, an awful lot of guys who have their NXT UK contract who show up on indies and kind of phone it in or do comedy matches and are just there, you know, because they're a draw, but would have stopped kind of the hunger to have great matches isn't in them anymore. And that hunger to have great matches is still in Walter. Like, I mean, that performance he put in on Sunday against David Starr, as you said, he sold for him. He's, you know, he, he, he cares about wrestling and he, I have it on good authority that he insisted on having the freedom to work where he wanted outside NXT UK, put into his contract before he'd signed any contract with them. So, I mean, he's, he, you know, he's, he's every, you know, he's the last two or three years, the amount of great matches he's had is ridiculous. And his output has just, you know, he's in slightly less places this year compared to last year. But again, my kind of four and a half star or above list this year, Walter's on five of those, you know, there's the the two matches with, or there's the match with Jordan. There's the two matches with star. There's the tag match with Thatcher against Ishikawa and Irie. There's that Phoenix match at Carrot weekend. That was just, Oh God, that was great. One of the most memorable things I've ever seen was, was him powerbombing Phoenix out of his mask. (laughs) Yeah. he, He provides these moments. He's this larger than, life wrestler like at one stage I was watching him on Sunday and I just turned to the guy beside me and said Jesus Walter is some sight when you just see him in person in the ring he's one of the most imposing presences I've ever seen in a wrestling ring you know and it's as I said it's to his credit that where most of his 
colleagues in NXT UK don't really try that very hard on the indies anymore. He's still pumping out the great matches um, every time he's out there, you know, and it's it, it's it's great credit to him that he does that. Yeah, I was going to mention Devlin as well. I mean, he might be lost slightly in the wasteland of NXT UK, but even on that brand, he's easily having the best matches, some of the lower yeah. highlights of some of the shows. And obviously, you know, they continue to have fantastic matches, you know, in OTT, David Starr and Walter, and then even on the smaller shows against the likes of Shane Strickland and A-Kid, and then his match against Kyle Fletcher at Super Strong Style 16 was one of the few highlights of the tournament. So, yeah, def- definitely I'd still have Devlin in that conversation. But, I mean, moving on to people who've fallen off a cliff, I mean, they might be excelling sort of in their bank account. And, I mean, I'm loath to ask you guys about what worst wrestler, but rather than that, which wrestler excelled in the past couple of years? Is that a really quiet 2019? I mean, I was the high guy on the Walter against Pete Dunn match for uh, the takeover. And I hear he's had a good match with A-Kid, but... JP Pete Dunn has really fallen off the last year, he, hasn't he? He doesn't wrestle in these kind of big matches as much anymore. It's as simple as that. Um, and it feels at this point like with him, it's just killing time till he ends up in Florida, which is really where he should be. We talk about people who sort of naturally progressed and moved on out of the, the European scene when you know yourself as fans that they've kind of become too big at that point. And Pete Dunne really at this stage in, in NXT UK, it just feels like he's treading water. Yeah, that's and, the expression, treading water, definitely. Yeah, it's it's just like he's he's there. And it's not that he's bad. And you think of all of the great things that he's done for, for British independent, British and European independent wrestling and all the companies he's been to and had those great matches. It's just sad to see him being sort of not used as much or to the best of his abilities as he could do. And it's disappointing, you know, I, I, the match at takeover, I, I thought was, was fine. I, I don't, I think I might've had it as third or fourth best match of the night. Um, and yeah, outside of that, you know, it all starts to become a struggle. I haven't seen the A kid match. I really like a kid, but you know, that's what else really has there been? Anyone else for you, JP, before we move on to James, that's sort of like... I mean, I mean, you could go through that entire NXT... Yeah. <laughs> ...sort of roster, couldn't you, really? You, you want providing the goods like they once did before. Yeah, exactly. The the only other one, and you kind of touched upon it, I mean, I would say the NXT... There's so many in the NXT roster, and because, uh, you know, I don't go to live progress shows anymore I, I watch it out of because i'm obligated to through doing podca- <laughs> podcasts on british wrestling um so it isn't something that, you know I, I don't necessarily get excited about nxt uk as, as we've already said as well but someone who i think ultimately has ended up disappointing me since he's come back and i you know and i think it's more because of the booking situation um is pack and um, I mean, there has been some really good matches, but considering, I suppose, what I built up in myself, the possibilities were, it hasn't met that for where it is. And that's I not think to we say we all had, haven't we? We'd all built up. Yeah, we were going to be getting these classics all the time. Yeah. And and like like I noted earlier, I I enjoyed the first sort of like twenty minutes of the Osprey match, but obviously <laughs> you brilliant. felt deflated after the end of it. Exactly, and and I think there's been some sort of green shoots. I mean, particularly I mean, the Michael Oku match which is well worth going every way to see. It felt like the sort of best use of pack. 
And because of the the entire narrative of that match as well, it was it really played well into the aspects of his character that I haven't frankly uh, liked. But I can remember going to Fight Club Pro earlier in the year, and he had a match with Carl Fletcher. And I swear, within about five minutes afterwards, it was like the match may not have taken place. Yeah. <laughs> it happened. I was there. I watched it. I can't tell you for love and the money what was necessarily going on because it wasn't a match that I was particularly engaged with. Are you are you the same with uh, Pac? Do you feel like uh, his comeback to the scene has not been all it should have been? Or do you think uh, he's slowly developing this character and it'll uh, come good sort of towards the end of the year, Jamesy? <laughs> Like we should really be talking about Pac in the same kind of at the same level that we're talking about Walter Starr and Devlin here. You know, I mean, if you look at the opportunities he's had and the positions he's been put in, the matches he's been given, um, there's no reason why he shouldn't be up there for wrestler of the year. And he isn't. And it is primarily the booking. 100%. 100%. I agree with that. Like the fact that he won't take pinfalls or can't take pinfalls, it hurt the Sabre match and it hurt the Osprey match, which were two real dream matches. Like for me at the start of the year when they were announced, I couldn't wait to see those matches and they were good, but they didn't break four stars for me because how could they when, when the, the, the finishes were so underwhelming and disappointing, you know? Um, but it's not just the booking. It's, it's the, it's the, the, the bastard pack character in general. Mm. It's, it becomes hard to watch after a while because he really slows the pace of his matches down with it. Um, he, he's, he, he seems determined to be this heel character. Um, like when he wrestles in Dragon Gate, just by the very nature of, of the type of wrestling they do, there's only so much he can slow it down. And like for me, his most of his best matches are over there because mm. you have to go at a certain pace in that promotion. You can't slow it down to the extent he does in the UK an awful lot. And actually one of my favourite pack matches this year was the Walter match in OTT because mm. it, it was at the time when Walter was really all in on being the heel in OTT. So just... Number one, Pack. it was his first match in OTT. And number two, number one, just he got such a pop for his return. People, he just became a baby face no matter how hard he tried in that match because Walter was such a heel and because people were so happy to see him. And that for me, like he, he ended up kind of working it as a baby face and it was so much better. You know what I mean? It was like the old Pack that was there before he kind of went to NXT in the first place. Um, and two guys who just aside from that, just to go back to NXT, like it, it, it breaks my heart to see Tyler Bate in that system because mm. like how, mm. how old is Tyler now? Is he is he twenty four, twenty three, twenty four? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely he's, he's no more than twenty five anyway. And like he should be wrestling everywhere at his age. There's no need for him to be in that system. I feel like he has definitely stalled in his progression. Like imagine if he had done a run in Japan, if we had before he had ever gone to like he's so good that at any stage in his career he can end up in WWE, you know. And if NXT had never existed, there would have come a time when he would have ended up in, in America. Because he's so good. He's gifted. You know what I mean? He's one of the most naturally gifted wrestlers I've ever seen. And it breaks my heart that we never got these last three or four years of him being the top guy on the indies, you know, having the main events in progress in Rev Pro, getting to go to Japan. Like imagine Tyler Bates doing a tour of New Japan or imagine Tyler Bates going to big Japan and wrestling some of the bigger guys there, you know, and we were, we were robbed of that whole period. And you can't tell me he's improving as a wrestler as much doing what he's doing at the moment and doing the types of shows he's doing in NXT 
as he could have been. Isn't it? Because um, I remember years ago, I listened to an interview with uh, Rocky Romero, and he was making overtures about going to uh, WWE. Maybe, you know, maybe sort of like thinking about getting into NXT or something, because he said that's what you do. You go around the world, you wrestle in all these promotions, you develop yourself as a wrestler, and then your final stop is WWE once you sort of like, you know, kind of like what uh, Daniel Bryan and the likes of those guys did. Exactly. And, I mean, there's no way he's he's as good as he could be now. Like, I mean, you know, he couldn't, like, I have great respect for Millie McKenzie in the fact that she turned down a contract and has gone over to Sendai Girls and is getting a chance to work with all these great wrestlers. She is going to improve exponentially just from that experience alone, you know. And um, Tyler's missing out on so much variety. Like, he's in a system now where everything is the same. Everything is this WWE style. He hasn't got the chance to experience Mexico, Japan, you know, be the top guy, have 30-minute matches as the top guy in, in, in progress or, or as the top guy in Rev Pro against imports and that kind of thing. And in a similar vein, another guy who's completely dropped off is Ilya Dragunov. Like, I mean, I think I had Ilya somewhere in my mm. worldwide top 20 last year. Like, this time last year, he was having a feud with Walter and, like, the three matches in that feud were phenomenal, you know. He had that triple threat at Carrot against Walter and, and, and Bad Bones. Um, again, one of the most compelling and exciting guys in wrestling, like, just a, a force of nature, you know. And now he has these the odd good match here and there in NXT. But that's it, you know. And again, it's just these really, really great wrestlers that were... I, I just... Sometimes you look at it and you just feel very robbed I've seen these guys in their prime, you know what I mean? We've basically been robbed of a whole generation of talent that we never get to see kind of have the matches we know they can have. Exactly. And obviously, you know, they're doing it for the financial security and it's the biggest yeah, company absolutely. in the world and stuff. Mm. But yeah, from a selfish point of view, yeah, we, we would rather see them doing these tours around the world and things. But I mean, sort of like end this on a bit of a high note. I mean... Let's talk about who's had a breakthrough, sort of like late 2018 coming into 2019. Um, someone who wasn't quite on the radar last year, but has excelled this year so far. I mean, for me, obviously the obvious choice is Michael Oku, because he's been doing some fantastic stuff this year. And also, uh, hey, kid, I mean, I know he had great matches last year, but he seems to have been great on every show I've seen him on this year. I don't know if you uh, agree there, JP. Oh yeah, I would have got him to mention. I want to see this Pete Dunn match that he had as well. Um, I'm not too sure if the if the rumor's true that he has signed with WWE because if so, it kind of ties what we said about how much of a shame that would be if he did because there is someone who can go, who has that opportunity to hopefully go around the world and have these brilliant matches. And do you think of like the job he's doing in terms of raising an entire nation's wrestling scene? On really on the backs of sort of between himself and Carlos Romo, that's pretty incredible, and that's you know difficult work. And I've seen him over the last few years, and you've seen him sort of grow and mature as a person as well. You know, he's a very young man, and he's who's absolutely slogged it, took bookings all over the place. I remember him having an awful journey to get to Kamikaze just to work there, and he was straight back to Madrid afterwards. And it was just like there's a there's a real deep love. Of the as well the match he uh, thinking one of the matches he had in ambition I think was it against Chris Ridgeway is that right Jamesy did he had the match was it Chris Ridgeway that a kid had the match with in ambition I um, think so I think yes, so it's, it's yeah. yeah it is indeed yeah yeah and I remember really loving really loving that so I mean he's yeah he is someone to be um, like really excited about and hopefully he'll be working a lot more independence. 
Mm. Anyone for you, James, who's had a breakthrough 2019 so far? Yeah, well, well Oku and, and A-Kid were, were two of the guys on my list, I suppose, again, not to be banging on about the Irish anymore, but, um, I, I, you know, I have to mention more than hype and Scotty Davis, I think more yeah. than hype. Hadn't really wrestled outside of Ireland um, late last year, and the, those three guys are busy. Like they are, they're never in Ireland anymore unless it's for an OTT show. Every weekend, they're over in England. They're often working on, on like the, the the smaller shows, the ones you wouldn't necessarily hear about. But they're, they're just quietly honing their craft in the first six months of the year. So mm-hmm. from that point of view, just to get to England and to build their name up in England, I think that's a breakthrough. But also, I think for the next six months, like I mean. Th- they're all of a sudden they're announced for Fight Club Pro. Um, they're announced for Progress, and also Scotty Davis is in the natural uh, the natural progression progression series for Progress. Mm-hmm. So I think by the end of the year, I think those those guys will, will be pretty high up on the, on, on the breakthrough list. And also yeah, on the female side of things, Valkyrie as well. I mean, she she did a tour with WXW there recently. And Valkyrie is someone who is kind of, has been training and wrestling as long as the more than hype guys in Scotty, but didn't maybe get as many opportunities in Ireland as, as, as I would have liked. I mean, there was kind of a reluctance to kind of book women's matches in, in OTT for a while there. Um, and I felt she had kind of fallen behind the, the, the male wrestlers in terms of some of her performances in OTT kind of late last year. She was a bit hesitant. She was kind of, she looked a bit lost. But in the last few months, she, she's done a tour in WXW. And it's like she's come back a different woman. It's been brilliant for her confidence. Like, And I mean, her performance on Sunday, she's now the OTT Women's Champion. Her performance on Sunday was really good. Um, she's turned heel. She's much more confident in herself. And again, she's I think she's been booked for Pro Wrestling Eve. So again, that's somebody who's kind of popping up in more places. And I think in the second half of the year will, will emerge as one of these breakthrough stars as well. Um, I'm from Irish Union. I mean, we could do a whole show on the up-and-coming talent from yeah. the Irish team, but uh, yeah. one who impressed me, uh, the, I've only seen him a couple of times, but is it Callum Black was, uh, I think it was, it, yeah, it's another one. With, uh, is it Devlin? Yeah, he, he's wrestling, they're doing an all-Irish contender show uh, over the summer, which will be really interesting, actually, you know, uh, like we would often have said how far, like, you know, one of the crit- one of the criticisms OTT would have had maybe two or three years ago from people, especially kind of from outside Ireland, would be looking at the cards and saying, well, where's the Irish wrestlers, you know? Uh, and we kind of knew they were coming, but they just weren't ready yet. You know what I mean? We were kind of saying, just, just give it a chance, you know? And now we're at the stage where they feel confident to run a contender show without flying anybody in, you know? And I think that alone speaks for the growth in the growth in the in the scene and the number of people coming through and yeah Callum has the main event against Jordan and yeah Callum's Callum's come on leaps and bounds like he's he's one of those guys who was doing the ring crew for years was always there kind of always doing the odd jobs around the place um kind of had some maybe he's had some confidence issues I think when he was when he was kind of starting out but has really come into his own in the last year um a, a match kind of a, a, a a hidden gem, I would say, on the OTT network is him against Carlos Romo from a from a contenders show there. Yeah, I think that's it was the match that I saw, yeah. yeah, that was really, really good stuff. And that was the first time I looked at Callum and said, okay, this guy's got something, you know. And, and what he has above all the other younger Irish wrestlers is he's he's more of a powerhouse, you know. So most of the, the Irish wrestlers are kind of your your cruiserweight, junior heavyweight kind of size guys. He's a bigger guy, you know, he's kind of like a 
he's like not the most popular name to bring up, but I got, he's like Michael Elgin in terms of his physique, you know. And, and if he kind of works, if he works on his aggression and works on his physicality a little bit more, he could really be something special, yeah, for sure. And um, I mean, mentioned Carl Strowman and AK, someone who we might have missed off on promotion of the. I mean, certainly having. Um, in terms of sort of like scope of where they were this time last year is a white wolf wrestling out of Madrid in Spain. I mean, the the crowds mm. there are fantastic. Yeah. They seem to have their own roster of talent. Obviously, they bring in your imports like they recently did that uh, show with Fight Club Pro, not dropped on the VOD yet, but they're certainly a promotion to keep an eye out for. But, um, I mean, as we wrap this up here, is there anything we've sort of missed out that you wanted to mention? Match of the year, wrestler, tag team, or anything, JP? Um, I'd mention on tag team, and again, it's a bit of the obvious choice because they're kind of the go-to tag team for a lot of companies in Europe, and that's Aussie Open. Mm. Um, now, the match we saw at the start of the year, the match we saw against CCK, which we absolutely loathed from um, <laughs> from from York Hall, um, and then since then, it's been it's been kind of building it building itself back up. I was there when they won the WXW belts at Carrot in a in a good match i loved the, the feuds you already mentioned they had in progress with swords of essex i thought that was brilliant and it and it did the job of raising them up as sort of the tag team in progress as well i was there and completely lost my mind when they beat um uh zach and uh, minora suzuki mm. at epic encounter that was phenomenal to to see that as well completely you know so they've they've been that kind of steady like really that kind of rock that a lot of tag team wrestling is built around in the European scene. And um, they've done a job. I mean, for me, and it's probably dream world stuff. One thing I think that they have earned at this point and they really could do with is being put in that, given the state of their tag team division, but that new Japan tag league towards the end of the year, I can't understand the reason why not. If it's based, you know, Fletcher at this point is big enough to be credible within a heavyweight tag team tournament there. So, yeah, they hopefully they've earned the right to it and they should be doing it. Anything else you wanted to mention, um, Jamesy, in terms of sort of like what stood out to you in 2019 so far, good or bad? Um, no, but that's pretty much it. Like, I mean, um, it, it struck me like we had tag teams down on our list of things that we might talk about. And it struck me that it, it, it's it's pretty barren, the tag team scene. Like, I was trying to think, if I had a top three tag teams, obviously, it's like Aussie opener, kind of like the David Starr of tag teams. They're, they're, they're in all yeah. the major promotions. They're independent. They're your go-to guys. You know, all the things we said about Starr, versatile, reliable, can work all kinds of different matches. Who would be the number two or three? And it's very hard to think of anybody, really. Like, I, the best thing I could come up with was maybe something like Mustache Mountain based on the fact that they just had they had a good match on on that NXT takeover and, and the odds the odd good match here and there and OTT and that kind of thing but there's a few tag teams in JFK maybe in WXW but they've mm. been a bit disappointing it's very the tag team wrestling has kind of died out in in Europe in the, in the last year or two and it's it's kind of sad to see because for me like there's nothing better than a, a great tag team match you know what i mean and it's it's a kind of an art form into itself well, it'll certainly be interesting to see, uh, sort of, we've got some big things happening this summer and certainly, uh, after the summer. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, where we are and if those choices have stayed the same at the end of the year. But I mean, just before we get out of here, um, there's some big news dropped today from, uh, Oriental Wrestling Entertainment, who obviously have got a working relationship with All Elite. They'll be 
heading to the UK for a five-day tour in September, two days in London and a uh, three, yeah, three dates in Liverpool. I um, mean, and they'll be also okay. crowning a uh, OWE UK champion and uh, UK tag team champions. I mean, very ambitious tour from them, uh, JP. I mean, five dates over here. I mean, uh, those Ring of Honor tours that had like the books and the likes of them. When they were doing sort of their uh, three or four date tours, uh, we're looking at diminishing returns. I mean, for a completely new entity, I mean, they could, you know, could be the novelty of seeing them. But, I mean, five dates is, is quite ambitious for this company, isn't it? I was going to say this. There's some things in that that kind of give me a bit of a red flag. The fact that they're already going with it. We mentioned about, you know, building up a title. They're going in there doing a UK champion as well. Um, I mean, I wish them all the best. Um, it seems very, I don't know. I, 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 it's hard to work out what are the venues that they're running in Liverpool and London. I mean, uh, I can't I don't imagine. They've announced London, but I think it's, uh, I'm assuming it's the usual <laughs> Olympia in Liverpool. Okay. I mean, three dates. I mean, that's, if you're Benno, um, that's great. And if Benno decides to get massively into OWE in the next few months, <laughs> he's set up. It's it's a perfect tour for him. I can't see that happening. Um, I wish them well. It feels like far too much too soon. And I suppose there's that part of me, you know, that there was those Dragon Gate UK tours that they had in, in Oxford and, and Bro- Broxbourne and then, you know, sort of never end up coming back. And yeah. I was, I'm, I've got a lot of worries about how that's going to go, but, you know, hey-ho. Any thoughts on the OWE tour of the UK, Jamesy? Yeah, a bit like JP. It's, it's, I'm old and I'm cynical, and like it's, it's nearly when any new promotion starts up, I, I'm always kind of a bit sceptical until, kind of until they reassure, until they run a few shows, and I see that they're drawing a reasonable amount of people and they're not doing things too silly. I will always be a bit sceptical in this day and age. And this seems, this seems ridiculously overambitious. And I mean, we were only talking earlier about smaller British promotions having the sense to stay in their own lane and not running before they can walk. And this, this mm. just seems way over the top for, for, for a Chinese company with, with no, with no established fan base in the country. Like how do they know anybody will come to the shows? You know, um, so, yeah, as I said, I, I, will it ever even come to fruition? I'm not sure. Um, I suppose the, the one of the interesting aspects of it is like they do have an AEW tie in. Mm. So it would it would interest me to see if they end up co-promoting with somebody in the UK and what kind of ramifications that that have. Like if it is co-promoted with, say, a Rev Pro or something like that. Mm-hmm. Does that then point to a kind of an indirect relationship between Rev Pro and AEW, or is it if a Fight Club Pro kind of co-promotes with them? So there has to, there surely have somebody in the UK promoting for them, like, and surely they'll do it in conjunction with an established promotion, and not just come over on their own bat and try and run shows because I think that would be a recipe for disaster. Well, um, yeah, I mean, obviously we'll uh, keep the rest of all the news that comes out of this. Well, I initially thought that they'd just do sort of like a couple of shows co-promote with a UK promotion, but uh, mm. from the looks of this, it just seems like they're going ahead on their own. So, uh, you know, all power to them, and uh, hopefully it's a successful tour. Um, 
I mean, um, we're sort of running out of time here, but um, we'll be back on the 10th of July, and we've got some massive uh, shows coming up this weekend. Pro Wrestling Eve running uh, three shows in Brighton, and then two in London with their big wrestling Queendom event at York Hall on uh, Sunday, and then Progress returning to Electric Ballroom in Canon for Chapter 90, and then Red Pro heading to Manchester for a big show with the... Uh, LIJ guys, and no doubt we'll talk about all of those on the next show. But um, I mean, before we get out of here, uh, JP, no crab, no grapple spotlight this week. But um, you're guessing with WH Park on his uh, G1 series, Cruel Summer, this coming weekend. Yeah, I am. You can't get me off the bloody post wrestling network <laughs> now, can you? Um, yes, I am. We uh, we reviewed the uh, G1 final um, uh, for '99, I believe it is. Um, Yes, uh, that's coming out this Sunday. So uh, have a listen, listen through today. It was really great chatting with him. I, I listened to you know the brigadier of British wrestling himself, Martin Bushby. <laughs> um, um, but it's a it's a really great series, um, and I've really enjoyed listening to them as well. I really enjoyed uh, the episode you did. Um, the final I had, uh, I'm going to let everyone everyone have a look at it first of all. I had uh, uh, Sasaki versus uh, Nakanishi. In the final, I think you had. Did you have Hashimoto and was it ninety five? You did. Yeah, Hashimoto and Moot are fantastic match. Really enjoyed watching it. I was, uh, I was the one you did. It was all right. <laughs> it, it wasn't Hashimoto versus Mooter. I'll say, I'll say that much. It was. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more. That's probably as good a Manabu Nakanishi that you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah, the like, one I got. Just to reiterate what JP said there, yeah, certainly fantastic series um and yeah great if you've got new japan world you can be following along watching all uh the g1 finals leading into uh this year's g1 uh perfect timing and uh james have you got any anything coming out fighting spirit magazine or anything um it should have uh, an article in the current issue a review of a wxw show i think it's either in this month's one or next month's one and working on another review as we speak um and that's it just on twitter at jamesy underscore 2015 that's about it mm. and of course uh you can follow jp on uh, twitter at jp jp how many e's is that jp it's three E's, and we will and we will have a, a grapple spotlight out this week to try and uh, cover because there's a wild world of wrestling going on. And also, just for the record, I'm Team Roast Dinners, and you, <laughs> you as yeah, Team Fry. That's fine. I'm good with Team Fry Up. Team Fry Up are awesome as well, but they're both good teams. That's that's the important message. And if you don't know what I'm on about, if you have listened to Grapple Spotlight, it'll all become clear. <laughs> the fallout, yeah, the roasting earth fallout all coming next week on Grapple Spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a wrestling show anymore. No, it really is. like wrestling reviews anymore. They just want Joe's uh, hot takes on the... Uh, on what he's eating that week but anyway uh, yeah certainly check that out and yeah like I know before we'll be back on the 10th of July uh, talking this huge weekend of wrestling we've got coming up so thanks for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time